There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Is it on, Phil? Machine's on. Do you want to put your headphones on? Oh. You don't have to. Suggestion. Okay, you good? We're, good. We're rolling. Definitely okay. got to hit Phil's uh, upcoming show. No, dates. we already. We, we funny you mentioned that because it's in here. I got. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give Corinne a compliment sandwich. <laughs> okay. You ready? You guys know what a compliment sandwich is? No. Lay it I've explained. On it. With some honey like mustard. if you need to critique someone, right? You don't just come in and critique them. Yeah, but I like that it's straightforward. The bad's in the middle. You come in and say something good. Then you say the thing you're trying to get across, and then you end on something good. Yeah. So, uh, Corinne, that was great that you got that red stag in Scotland. <laughs> See? Thanks, dude. <laughs> Sometimes you can do what's called an open face sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> where, where you don't end it with a comment. So there, and then now I'm going to go, Corinne, this, the, the notes today are, it's like eight hours worth of <laughs> material. Sloppily arranged, and then you so you got that, and then now uh-huh. I'm gonna go on. Um, God, you look great today, Corinne. <laughs> it's a true pausing egg. <laughs> okay, well we can cut out a you fair great. bit. We can cut out a fair bit. Steve. Did you try a new soap? <laughs> <laughs> new conditioner. What does my face look fresh? <laughs> <laughs> she bought a new kind of soap in Scotland. Did you have fun in Scotland for real? I had a fantastic time. Did you like it? It was it was wonderful. I mean, the hunting process is obviously 
a bit different. Yeah, now your, you... your deers are like for sale in some market now. Yeah, oh yeah, Some yeah, dude's yeah. eating your deer like that he bought at the store. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's, or, or like dog food. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the government, the Scottish government tells an estate how much, I mean, it determines how many, um, animals on its property need to be culled. And then you're, uh, you know, so there's a professional stalker at each estate and that's their duty to carry out what's required. And then if you're there hunting it, you're kind of helping to, you know, fulfill, fulfill the aim. And and um, each animal is then <clears throat> sold to a, a a game dealer, and I was told that it's like sold with the coat on and the head off. When you just, guys gutted, gutted it, did, did you you gutted it from the diaphragm back, right? Yes. Which they got a weird sounding name for, like Glat Glock. I I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but they didn't. Yeah, they did it a different way. Look that up, Yanni. I'd type in something way. like Scottish. I don't know. Gutting. Gutting method. method. Diaphragm. I'll get you started. Mm-hmm. Was it a drive hunt? Was it like driven no. or were you stalking? stalking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, that was the voice of Phil Lavretsky, Russian born researcher who has a uh, University of Texas at El Paso. Crin has pointed out that you have a whole lab named after you. Sure do. Explain what you guys do. You're we, here to talk about mallard ducks and some real problems. We are. Yeah. Real problems. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I run a wildlife genetics lab. While uh, we focus on ducks, you know, our uh, whole shtick is field to gene. We are, right now I have crews in Arizona catching Mexican ducks and other crews in Texas catching model ducks. And we do everything from... Catching, banding, telemetry work, uh, all the way to population genetics, evolution, these types of things. And basically the difference or the big thing about us is we use genetics to identify individuals correctly. So we have no, uh, you know, you you can't run away from your genetics. It is what it is. So by understanding who we're working with, we can better... Who as in critters? Critters. Now, this is all just a prelude to her answering the question, but I just wanted people to know who they were hearing talking. <laughs> who who it is, the foundation, yeah. So our foundation is genetics, and then we explore everything from migration to morphology, how hybridization causes issues, if if so, if not, how, uh, how releases feral populations in New Zealand, here in North America, Europe, how, how are they establishing? Why did they establish? And how they look like compared to the things that they came from. Got it. We're going to get into that heavy. Yeah, duty. real heavy. Crane, go on, no? Oh, yeah. So the animal is sold in full coat to a game dealer, and then that game dealer turns it around again and sells it to a butcher. But you guys cut it off at the knees, right? Um, when I was there, they did. They gutted it, diaphragm back, cut it off at the knees, and out the door. So... Diaphragm and guts were cut out, left for the eagles, and then every we 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 um, drug out the animal for a little bit and met horses, and then we threw it. Oh, it, you know, head comes off, but nothing was cut off at the knees. Mm-hmm. It came all the way down back to the what house about a horse? On, on a horse. Yeah, they come out with horses, and um, one one horse like holds the head or that's kind of like the horse in training that eventually might have the body of the animal on it and you walk it down on a horse how many did you guys shoot um morgan morgan potter uh who's been on the show before uh he got two 
I got one, and um, our friend David, who invited us, got one. Are they gonna? Are, do you get to send the head home and keep it? Uh, I've got the antlers uh, somewhere in the mail on on their way over to Bozeman with the skull cap, or you just sawed them off. So they, uh, it's kind of. Yeah, skull cap, like kind of like a yarmulke. Where that? There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm dragging. Yeah, Bill's dragging. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you call that, but um, that's yeah. a skull cap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's if you cut a little deep around your yarmulke. Yeah. But it like it like slices the the eye sockets in the middle. Sure. Too. Yeah. It's not. It's not like just tight around the. That saves you a lot of cutting. Yeah. When you when you get the eye sockets into your cut, mm. you know. Um, well, I think it also makes for a nice flush mount to yes, the wall, and then that is the right, Yanni. Mm-hmm. Fits flat against right. the wall. Uh, years ago, we were hunting in Alabama in Tuskegee National Forest, and I killed a little teeny spike horn that had you know inch and a half spikes. And when I skull capped them, I just cut this super narrow strip of bone mm-hmm. to connect the two little spikes. And I'm not joking. I went home. I flew home with his rack in my shirt pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Probably fit in the Ziploc bag. <laughs> so I could pull it out That's and show cool. people right out of my shirt pocket, man. Uh, holy cow, man. Like I said, we got so much to talk about. We're going to... Um, Let's not make the show like two hours and a half. Let's like maybe cut a thing out. You want you can we can cut the non-waterfowl <laughs> stuff out. Listen, let me just let me take a look here. The flying V guys are here. Introduce yourself, boys. You want to go ahead, Matt you want Brady? Me to? Yep. Who uh, who goes first? Uh, Matt McCormick here. Yep. Live in Bozeman. My partner Brady. Yep. Brady Davis. I also live here in town. Um, flying V. Matt and I have a couple companies called Flying V. This year is going to be really fun. We're going to be doing a bunch of waterfowl content with Meat Eater and for Meat Eater. So we're super pumped about that. Um, and you guys manage land. Yeah, we've got another business where we do land and ranch management. So we do, you know, habitat construction, restoration, and management. And so... Yeah, these guys are like the Army Corps of Engineers, man. I went out on a tour with these guys in terms of, like, waterfowl habitats. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And the waterfowl is the primary focus. Ducks, you know, around here, ducks are a primary focus for us. Uh, but there's inherently some elk stuff and some deer stuff and some upland stuff that kind of comes along with it. Excited to be here to talk a little bit more with, with you, Phil. Um, but yeah, it's development and restoration, man. And it's for the greater good, you know, providing food, safety, nesting habitat, all that. Yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of wetlands work you guys get involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have to work with the Army Corps of Engineers on a lot of that stuff. Because oh, so they, that was, that was, I, thought, I was just making a joke. <laughs> no, you, you nailed it. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you start doing stuff like this, there's natural wetlands and everything. I mean, they got to come out and they'll, they'll bring a, a, a big roll of red flags and they'll put it all over the property and say, you cannot touch this. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the way across the board. You can't, you, like you cannot you mess can, with you it. You can add to it, but not mess with it. Yeah. Yep. And if you take some, you have to give some back, but they have parameters around that. There's a bunch of permitting and everything. But, uh, you know, the state of Montana, they, they love trout. So you kind of lean on the trout thing and trout then everything that a trout loves, a duck loves too. So, oh, so you know how to game it. Yeah. You have to Be game like, it. And the brown trout are going to love it. Uh, and <laughs> great spawning <laughs> beds. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I mean, it's the, it's the same. It's the same answer, but a different question, right? What's good for the trout? What's good for the duck? But it's the same answer. Yeah. And then you guys. That's good that that aligns. Yeah. Yeah. You guys. You guys gave up on like basically most kinds of hunting just to focus on ducks over the years. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We both grew up doing all kinds of hunting. Matt grew up waterfowl hunting when he was young. I did not. I got into waterfowl hunting in my early 20s. Yeah, because you're from the arid west. Right? Yep. Yeah, yep. And I got into it in my early 20s. The problem is once I got into it, it was over. No looking back. Uh, the, the very first day I had some decoys, called in a few geese. I remember you talking about that. Shot day. them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the day those geese died, I walked into the house. I was a newlywed, told my wife, I'm like, game over i had i had hounds i was hunting lions and bears and stuff with dogs and those dogs got sold and next thing you know i had a labrador and more decoys and <laughs> more decoys and if you ask my wife more decoys i'm surprised those lion dogs didn't team up and kill that lab out of spite <laughs> <laughs> I, I moved them out of the asylum before the next inmate came in yeah they're like this son bitch is gonna be trouble yeah <laughs> now uh, I had a question. Now, do you guys go after NACA grants? Is that how you guys do a lot of the habitat work? Yeah, there is some, there is some of that, and we and we work with a couple different consultant agencies that just focus on permitting, right? Because you need you need people that can read the fine print, and at the end of the day, we're looking to do macro, you know, macro restoration, and so a lot of those guys are handling the 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 details of that. But yes, to your to your question. There's some of that. We also, a lot of our clients are people who have purchased the land for the purpose of hunting. Mm-hmm. So they are willing to invest more money and, you know, they're, they're, they're good to put the money in for the end result. And so at the end of the day, what we care about is that the birds are there and that the habitat supports holding the birds, not just having them there for a shoot or for a hunt. And so we're looking at everything from, okay, how do we get them here? But then how do we hold them and, and maintain and keep them there? So you know, the, the the wetland stuff is a big part of it, but we also do a ton of farming, you know, planning, consulting, which crops go in, the layout on the property, where the corn needs to go and the spring wheat and the barley and the peas and how all that lays out on the property and in reference to the water sources as well. I should maybe have you guys take a look at my pumpkin patch. We're here. Would yeah. love to. I've never done anything with pumpkins My except shoot them with a shotgun. My goal was four big pumpkins, and I wound up with just two, but we can talk, we can talk about it later. And I got three kids, so this is not going over well. Uh, Yanni, I'm sick of doing a Plug the Meat Eater live show. Let me hear you just tear it up. <laughs> with no notes. No, here, here. There's no notes in the, this document that Corinne well, put together. like it just didn't do a very good job computer. of producing. <laughs> I didn't want to spend 17 minutes on us talking about all the locations. Yanni's going to do it for in f- <laughs> speed version. Uh, if you're looking for something really fun to do in December um, and uh, you live somewhere between Colorado and Philly, uh, you're in luck because Mm -hmm. Meat Eater is... You uh, notice how it makes like a little line across the country? Yeah, totally. And I know a lot of people are upset uh, from the South, Southeast, Texas, other parts of the country because they're like, what about us? And... We only have so much time in our lives. Yeah, and, and, and when the pandemic, Corinne, you got you keeping track how long we talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we're the pandemic, we were going out the other direction, but it all got canceled because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have hit, you know, states and cities all over the country in the past, and I think that in in future versions of this, we probably will hit the South and we'll hit the West Coast. But this time around, we're in Denver, Kansas City, Missouri, De- Davenport, Iowa. Kalamazoo, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, PA, and Philly, PA. Um, so all VIP tickets are already sold out, but there are general admission tickets left. Uh, come and see us. Go to TheMeteor.com if you want to see uh, the dates that will be at each one of those. It's, it's roughly December 6th through the December 15th. 
lot of great How's guests that? lined up. We got guests lined up all our damn place. Kevin Murphy's coming out. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have. We're gonna have Derek a thing. Wolf. You're gonna have. We're gonna have a casting contest at every show. Ooh. In order to win a seat at the trivia table. How long was that, Corinne? Good. Mm-hmm. Next. You, you loving? That was great. <laughs> Phil, over to Phil. Speaking of live shows, okay. take it away, Phil. I, okay, yeah. You, being very, very generous. I think this is the third time we've talked about this local community theater thing I'm doing. But Phil's a thespian. This one's for all you in Michigan. Come on out. Uh, the Yellen Theater, October 20th, doing a show. It's a 1930 screwball comedy called You Can't Take It With You. Just great one? job, Phil. Just one. Oh, no, two we're doing, weekends, I think we're doing six, six or seven shows. It's two weekends, two weekends long. Starts the 20th, goes through the 29th. Okay. Yep. Still tickets available? There are still some tickets available, yes. Okay. Dude, I went to a live show the other night, and it was my one of my favorite bands, but probably the worst show I've ever seen. Not, Brian, Brian Jonestown Massacre? Yeah, and I didn't mean to stay. I told my wife, I had a bunch of friends. Well, not a bunch. Yeah, I went down there with a bunch of friends, and I said, listen, I'm, I want to have my own car because I'm not staying. I'm just going to have a look. Like, I don't, I don't like, to, you know, I'm going to have a look, and I'm going to go home. So if you want to stay, drive separate. But we all left at the same time early. This is a horrible job. Wow. Um, but he said something that's been keeping me up at night. He said, it's good to be back in this part of the country that I love so well that teeters between rugged individualism and common sense. Please don't let it tip too far. Now. Mm, is that why you left early? No. Okay. <laughs> but what's keeping me up at night is what way does he mean that it's tipping? Which is the good uh, way. Yeah. Yeah, like tip, like, you know, you could read it that he doesn't think it should tip too far in either direction because it teeters on the edge or he feels that it's tipping. Well, the term common sense has like a positive uh, connotation, I would say. So my, my gut would be he's saying it's tipping too far towards rugged individualism. He's saying, don't. nah, that's not how uh, I read okay. it. Okay. Okay. Keep me up at night. Maybe, that wasn't even in the talking points. Maybe he's trying to say that he would like us to keep that balance. That's what I, yeah. And that uh, we should just hold those two qualities uh, yeah. near and dear and don't tip out of wherever yeah. else we might end up. Stay on the knife's edge. Yeah. Stay on the knife's edge. Uh, man. Lost stuff to talk Steve about. is giving me stink eye. <laughs> no, this is all great. This is all great. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I'm gonna jump around for a minute. Oh, here's the thing I want to talk about. This is a correction to a correction. Usually we'll limit it to like there'll be a, a statement, a correction, a correction to a correction, a correction to that correction, and then we usually drop it. Yeah. That's what this is this is where we're at. I don't even want to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Some number of episodes ago, I talked about a piece that came out, I believe in Free Press, Barry Weiss's publication, Free Press, uh, where I have an article coming out, I'll point out. Uh, And it it was a researcher who just written a piece about wildfires in California. And he was writing, and he published it in the journal like there's two, the two most prestigious scientific journals on the planet are uh, nature and science. You agree? I agree. Okay. He agrees. You ever had anything in there? They don't like ducks. Oh, well, <laughs> let me give you a tip. You want to get something in there? Listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm all ears. He said he wrote it. He published in nature 
about the role of climate change in wildfires in California and then published an op-ed saying, if you want to be published in science or nature, you have to focus exclusively on climate. You, you could, the, the, all the myriad factors that go into wildfires, like why the increase in human caused wildfires, um, uh, forestry practices, lack of forestry practices leading to wildfires, electrical transmission practices leading into wildfires. And he says, no one's going to care. If it's climate change, you will get published. Then some stuff came out where they revealed that in the review process of his article, Nature, the editors at Nature had said, well, have you factored in all this other stuff? And he said, well, I'm going to get to it in later research projects. So they kind of did like a gotcha, meaning, oh, no, we did ask about all of that stuff. And he is going to get to it later. But we specifically asked about all these other factors. Then it what came back. He said, like, but we would have never had that conversation had I focused on those other factors. Heffelfinger writes in, your discussion about climate change writing in nature confused me. When I sent you the link to that guy's blog, I didn't realize that was exactly the story you were talking about in the original podcast, number 478. I sent you that as supporting information for what you were talking about, the positive bias in climate change publishing, publishing, which is absolutely a rampant problem. Everything he said in that article was tr true, completely. I see it all the time. When researchers are writing a proposal to get a research grant, they have to make everything about climate change. Follow the narrative. That's where the money is. A study on summer precipitation on elk calf recruitment becomes all about climate change. Dry summers. The first draft of one of my son's papers from his master's degree mentioned climate change in six of ten sentences in the abstract because his major professor was trying to get in a prestigious journal, and it has to be about climate change to accomplish that. It was simply a mule deer fawn survival study in Nevada, and the abstract was all about climate change, the narrative again. This is a huge problem in scientific writing. And he goes on. Then he goes on to say, um, basically, how could you have been surprised by the thing of the rabbit don't die? when it comes to pregnancy tests, because it's an Aerosmith. Aerosmith I'll point out, it's Aerosmith's only good song. Ooh. <laughs> Where he says, what does he say? Because the rabbit done died. Mm -hmm. Meaning a pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. You Why spent, are you so you exasperated that. this morning? Yeah, you're doing well. What was the time on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... 12 seconds. Uh, New Jersey. Can we hit this, Corinne? Yeah, it'll take a minute. Remember when I said my least favorite politician in America was New Jersey's governor, Murphy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who I would, I would know him. Oh, no, I would know him because I remember when he got, he was one of those governors that got real telling everybody not to do anything during the pandemic and then he gets caught out in a restaurant without his mask. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he campaigned on shutting down the black bear hunt in New Jersey, which makes him my least favorite politician in America. My current least favorite politician in America is Jay Inslee. But back then, my least favorite politician in America was Murphy. Well, the New Jersey hunt is back on. The New Jersey bear hunt's back on. Um, New Jersey screws with hunters real bad. So they'll do a, they'll do a black bear hunt. 
And, and when you kill a black bear, you have to bring it in. This is quite common across pretty much. I, I can't think of a single state where you kill a black bear and don't bring the black bear in so they can collect some biometric data off it. Here in the state we're sitting in right now in Montana, which teeters on the edge of common sense and rugged individualism. Um, <laughs> when you kill a bear, you take it down to fishing game. You go into the front office. You say, hey, I have a bear I like to check. Like a, a biologist to come out. You go in the back. You'll do your bear check in privacy, right? You go to and catch can Alaska. You bring your bear in. You go to a place. You go in and some level of privacy. You do your bear check. New Jersey, when they do a bear hunt, they're like, "Hear ye, hear ye! All bear hunters will have to come walk the gauntlet of protesters to publicly register their bear hunt while getting uh, what was that word we talked about the other day? Um." What is the meaning accosted? of the word? Accosted. Oh, okay. By getting accosted. Good job, Giannis. We so, talk about a lot of words yeah. over the years, so it's hard to remember the last one. But yeah. So it causes all this trouble and all these protests, and then everybody gets bent out of shape. Meanwhile, it has the highest density of black bears anywhere. New Jersey has the highest density of black bears anywhere in the country. So the controversial black bear hunt is back on in New Jersey following a superior court judge ruling that did not favor animal rights groups and de facto Murphy. Monday marked the first day of the October hunt. So what, what the hell Monday was that? Whatever the hell Monday was. I think was. this came out like last week. So this is like early October. Another is scheduled in December. Hunters brought the bears they killed to the Whittingham Wildlife Management Area in Newton. One limitation is the bears weighing less than 75 pounds can't be harvested. Ooh. That's tricky. I like yeah, that, that though, is. man. You do? Well, I like it because of the alternative. Because remember what happened last time when New Jersey did a bear hunt? Someone killed that bear petals that had like the deformed feet. Oh, yeah. Petals. Everybody liked it because it had no feet. <laughs> John John Muellen who's been on the show twice and I love the guy to death I'd like to strangle him for this wrote an obituary of the bear (laughs) 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 great guy great writer wrote an obituary (laughs) for Petals it was they, and it was when he when when a hunter killed Pebbles. It was reported that Pebbles had been assa- or Petals had been assassinated. Um. So where was I? Seventy five pound limit. Uh, that is tricky. Wildlife officials say the hunt is the most effective way to prevent bear and human encounters in densely populated New Jersey. I can't remember how many bear. Um, complaints they had uh well so new jersey resumed hunting in 2022 or bear hunting and so last year due to reports of the animals causing property damage and being a nuisance with reports of those up nearly 240 percent since the previous year 2021 yeah that's a lot florida is going to face a similar situation florida tried a bear hunt they ran it very conservatively everything went right but they blew past their their harvest quota. Like if you, if you're doing a hunt and you have a harvest quota, a lot of times you'll have to, you'll check every night. Like, let, let me just, let, let's say you have a hunt and you say that there's a harvest quota of 10 and you open it up in this big area. Well, every day you're counting how many things get registered, but the rule is that it shuts off in 48 hours because, um, people need, you need time to spread the word or it shuts off in 24 hours. So Florida hit their quota way quicker than they thought. 
they closed it, but then the 24-hour the window made them blow past the quota. Everyone had such a conniption. But half the country looked, my half, looked and was like, man, there must be a lot of bears. <laughs> and then the other half looked and be like, man, they killed all the bears. Um, and just like different worldviews, right? And they're, they're t- are they getting, they're going to take another shot at it, I believe, in Florida? I don't, I don't know about that. Can I just ba- jump back to Jersey for a second? So we're really only talking about two short weeks, so October 9th through the 14th and December 4th through the 9th as hunting days. Um, so we're not talking about like a long season of months and months. So, um, And then uh, it's it looks like on the first day of the season, 105 bears were, were killed. On the first day? Mm-hmm. Wow. Can they bait out there? No way. Probably not. Great probably, opener. probably not, but and I don't know how I don't know statistics on like sounds like you just kind of go out and sit on your back porch. Yeah, and they don't hibernate over there apparently. Well, they stay up all year. I don't know if the uh, yeah. if the season's they in go. December. December oh, I bet they go down eventually. They probably intermittently. Maybe go that's down. why they did the December hunt because they know they're all going <laughs> to <be> hibernate <laughs> by then. So they're like, all right, y'all go. <laughs> you win this one. We're going to give you a hunt. Yeah, in December. <laughs> Oh, check this stuff out. So everybody knows FHF. Um, you should know FHF. FHF gear, fish hunt fight, all American-made gear. If you like to hunt ducks, and we're here to talk about ducks, you should check out the... So you know like the bino rigs? If you see our stuff, you'll always see that that um, we wear a lot of FHF bino rigs, which are the best bino rigs on the planet. Paul's been in the bino rig game since the bino rig game began. Um, what's funny is our camera guys discovered that they had been in, on wasting all of this real estate on their bodies. And so they started wearing bino rigs to carry their junk in it. So nice. Yeah. And Mo's like, I can't believe my whole life. I just wasted this area in front of my body when I could have had all my shit there. So he started wearing bino rigs and just filling them full of batteries and lens wipes and whatever stuff he wanted. Like he'll, he'll be in some restaurant in Paris with a bino rig on, you know, <laughs> um, filming anyhow. So eventually the FHF bino rig morphed into like a, a chest rig, just a, a gear rig. And FHF now has the waterproof chest rig. So for when you're out hunting ducks or, I don't know, trapping muskrats, you got a total waterproof rig, which I guess has been getting a lot of in, uh, interest from various uh, military groups that like that thing as well. So a totally waterproof, submersible chest rig that you can keep so when you dunk and you come up your phone and all your stuff's still good and then there's an e4 pouch that attaches to the main rig so you can accessorize the dickens out of it and then the best thing on the planet i don't know how this one i guess it's fair it was cal's idea the cal pouch which has changed my life because the cal pouch oh that's what it's short for i thought it was like short for no it's short for caliber cal something it was his idea no kidding so it's a shell bag Okay, picture this. It's this little square shell bag with a handle yeah. on it. No, I saw a picture of it. And a zipper. You can dump three boxes of shells. Pretty clever. Like, I think you know, it'll hold three boxes of two and three quarters. Maybe three boxes of three inch. I know because we have the bird loads. I can dump 20. I, well, okay, let me say this. I know for a fact that for my kids, I can dump three boxes of 20 gauge six shot in the bag. It zips and it's like this square little bag and then it's got a slit in it with a clear plastic window so you cut out of the shell box what the hell it is and slide it in the window 
and you can got like so there's camo side panels there's orange side panels so when i organize mine i know that the orange is upland shells the camo is waterfowl Mm. shells then i took a marker and wrote 1220 because my kids shoot 20s and i shoot a 12 it's the greatest this year hunting youth duck i took one of those bags unzipped it set it in front of all the kids and everybody just shoots out of the thing you're not messing around with boxes to get wet and fall apart Cal pouch. <laughs> so <laughs> Phil has a bullshit, lab named man. after him, and Cal is a pouch named after Cal him. Pouch. Steve, I also use that for uh, dog food. If I'm doing like a day trip or two day go. trip, throw dog food in there. Works out great. It's a great I love idea. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it. No, it is a great, great, great idea. Cal. Yeah, it's called Steve Reno. <laughs> doesn't have the same ring though. Just doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> Also, DSD's Honker Maxima line available this fall. DSD is, uh, here's the thing about DSD decoys. Um, in such demand that like, think of, here, more people are trying to, I shouldn't say this because it works against DSD. You got to wait in line to get DSD decoys sometimes. Because um, they're so good. Yeah. I never realized this. People want those decoys. So get in line. Well, they're kind of getting all this taken care of, but just an enormous amount of demand for DSD decoys. And their Maxima Honker line available this fall. And a brand new Maxima full bodies. Geese full bodies soon. Floaters are in stock now. Stackable sleeper shells will be back in stock soon as well. So if you're sitting around wondering why you got to wait to get DSD decoys, it sounds like your problems are over. Uh, DSD has also re-released their Deadly Snow Goose decoys with more poses and a brand new motion system that is user-friendly and offers even more realistic movement than before. So check all that out. And while you're at it, check out uh, the Duck and Goose calls over at Phelps Game Calls. New Jersey. Should we talk about New Jersey more, Corinne? No, we already. That was enough. That's. Was, I'm joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have something on duck calls. You sounded real so quick. serious. Oh, please. So I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but there's a meat eater collab collab call coming out from 737 Duck Calls. Okay. That is bad to the bone. Is it good? Yes. It it the call runs awesome. We've we've used their calls for a long time, but Matt just got the proof texted to him yesterday. We were on a call with those guys yesterday, but that call is going to be coming out in November. Yep. Do you, so got one early in your po- you got one in your pocket right no, now? No, I got a picture. A, it's I a limited give you run. A sneak, sneak peek on the picture. So there's only going to be a couple hundred of them. Oh, really? So they're they're going to go oh. like hotcakes. Can and I have gone one? Quick. Can you? You can buy I'm, it. It's going to sure. be for sale on, <laughs> I'm that, sure on you the meateater.com. I'm a guy that could help you acquire one. Yeah. Man, that'd be cool. But they're they're awesome. So. Oh, sweet. Single or double? Read. It's going to be a single read. Single read. Cool. Yeah. So that'll be coming out early November. Yep. Max Barter, really quickly introduce yourself to. You come on all the time. Have you ever won trivia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah. Really? I've you won played trivia a couple times? Yeah. I'm couple a, times. Before a couple times. Well, I've I've been on the podcast a couple times, but I haven't I've only won trivia once. Who Great was there? day. Was Dr. Randall there? Dr. Randall was there. Was Brody oh, there? Brody was there. Oh. And you won. Oh, wow. Yeah. I won yeah. in overtime. Oh, so we need a new um, nickname for overtime, Max. No, man. I think the only reason why I'm here because I like ducks and I want to talk about ducks and learn more about ducks, so yeah, this guy's like, he's taking he like duck himself. pictures. He's like, look at all these ducks I killed. And I'm like, where? Just a spot. I'm not going to tell you. Great answer. It is a great, great answer. answer. I'm going to block his number, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you should be able to block people's numbers based on what they text you. <laughs> <laughs> like it filters. Like grip and grins, you got to like opt in or out for their grip and grins, man. <laughs> right. 
Oh, what's super yeah. cool is a guy right down the road in Belgrade, Montana, won the federal duck stamp contest. Had you guys heard of this artist before? I had not heard of him. No, I hadn't either. Chuck Black. He's going to come on the show, but not for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, early, early in the near. Yeah. I was surprised how young he was. I don't know what I was picturing. Good for him. I don't you know, know what I was picturing in my head? Elliot West. Who's <laughs> <laughs> in his 70s. Uh, I was picturing Elliot West. Um, but yeah, like, so, so he, he, uh, he's been in this business his whole life. Right? Is that correct? I'm asking you. Yeah, oh, I this. mean, I guess doing it some looks AV. like it, it looked like he started uh, drawing at least when he was a kid. And he doesn't do just ducks either. He does coyotes, birds, elk, scenic stuff. It's like beautiful Incredible landscape stuff too. Yeah. Uh, painting, sorry. This, this video that Phil's showing right here kind of documents the process, but it also shows uh, him up in Red Rocks, um, up in Montana, getting the inspiration video for this duck. So this duck is actually like a Montana duck, which is pretty cool. Steve, do you know what kind of duck that is? Pintail. Okay, I'm just making sure. Tell you what, we got we got a uh, we ate a pintail two nights ago that my Ooh. kid just got. He got an antelope hunt of all things. Oh, yeah. with the proper firearm. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Great way to get the pintail. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So congratulations, Chuck Black, for so he'll he'll be on next year's duck stamp, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 2024. 2024. Yep. I was hunting. I, I was hunting antelope with my kids. So I had my my boy and my daughter. My boy's old enough, but my daughter's not old enough. And he gets a buck, and we get it all cut up, and we're carrying it, and we hit a road. And I'm like, "Oh, this road will go to the truck." So I tell the kids, "You wait here," and uh, I'm gonna go get the truck. And the, and so they want to go up to this little hill to look around. I come back a while later. I had to walk a mile. I come back, and they're nowhere to be seen. So I'm honking horn. <laughs> like, what the hell happened to him? And all of a sudden, Rosie comes running over the hill. Jimmy got a coyote. Jimmy got a coyote. What? Yeah. Just actually flea riddenest. Yeah. So we got all that skinned out. <laughs> I'm sure you were happy. Oh, dude. Uh, my ears. I had those t- b- bugs in my ears for the next two days. <laughs> oh, coming off that thing. And then on the way out, he got himself a pintail. Nice. So he had a quite nice little mixed bag. That's perfect. <laughs> an antelope, a coyote, a pintail. Uh, Can we skip this one? Yeah. We can skip the next one, too. Well, I don't know. This is bad news. Can we just roll this into the other stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all the, the, the rest of it is two headlines here. Duck hunter numbers on the decline. Mm. Hmm. So there was an uptick in duck, hit, duck hunter numbers during COVID and then a, and then a slight mm-hmm. decline afterward. Right. They realized how hard it was. Yeah, no kidding. And they had to go back to work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hunters begin, duck hunters drop out at around age 70, which means neither of our presidential candidates <laughs> are going to be duck hunting. Are in the duck hunting mix. Um, Minnesota mallard harvest numbers declining. Now, is this because of there aren't as many people out or because of some other issue? You guys should be able to answer this. I have a theory on it. Go ahead. Okay, let's do a round. Let's do a round table. I think these mallards are just getting smarter, and when they're migrating through, I think they're just hitting the cities, and they just become city birds. You can't, obviously can't hunt them in the cities, mm-hmm. 
And I think that's where they're going. During the golf courses, university campuses. Well, yeah. I mean, just like town parks too. Like, I mean, even just driving around Bozeman too, you, there's a bunch of city birds. We'll actually get to that. Really? Good. In a little while. Jeez, man. That's great. Uh, I was talking about this with Matt and Brady here. We were talking about the way that if you, if you go along the I-90, I guess it'd be 94 out there, right? Mm-hmm. 94 corridor after Goosey's has been running a while. And you see like all the places you'd expect to see a goose and he's not there. Mm-hmm. But they're piled up in the weirdest little spots. Basically, like they got one foot in the highway. <laughs> they're in like some dude's yard. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like a pretty smart approach to it, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would do if I was a goose and mm-hmm. all my friends were getting shot. I'd hang out somewhere like that for sure. Yeah, like in the highway median? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere right on the shoulder, yeah. What What's fascinating is the the population numbers of mallards aren't necessarily down. I mean, they kind of do this number regardless. Yeah, yeah we've, been, we've been bouncing around, right, with those numbers. I think we went under 10 million this year, but we the height was, what, three, three years ago? We hit mm-hmm. like four. 13 million, 14 million. And, uh, uh, but yeah, they basically cycle. A lot of it is cycling with the May ponds up in the Dakotas where they, where they, uh, use some of that data to estimate those numbers. Uh, but then some interesting aspects is, is that, uh, it looks like some mallards are starting to overfly into, uh, into areas in Nunavut territory mm. further mm. north further where north, you're not yeah. where we don't have anybody checking but I was moose hunting on the Yukon BC border and they when? were everywhere last year oh, did you get yeah, one? I did huh. it, was, it was great I made my how I, big I, was it? You know, I don't want to talk about it. No, 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 no. no. It was. No, it I'm was, joking. I don't want to see it. No, no I was, was just hoping you'd was, say like, "Well, how big was your moose that you yeah. just got?" <laughs> oh, you, you got one. Well, let's hear about it. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> when you go to register a moose online, uh huh, there's a drop down where you enter how many brow tines it has. Mm-hmm. I had to go uh, all the way. It, no, no, you couldn't get there. You had to lie. <laughs> the drop down. Didn't it ends at nine? He just kept going. It ends at nine. Yeah, I couldn't. The number was not high enough to accommodate the brow. So time. how so many you, brow you times did your bull moose have, Steve? <laughs> Ten. Wow. <laughs> oh, one man. more than nine. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy, you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description 
to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. This makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort. Meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots, talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacovas store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. This actually tees back up into the duck number thing. Yeah. Oh, please. So Matt can talk about, we, we have a, a theory as well that I, I think. Well, and it's more accurate. of a question for, you know, somebody like yourself, Phil, is so if population numbers continue to do this, but hunter harvest numbers are down, when you look at how they actually gather that data for hunter harvest numbers, they use a hip survey, right? Like yeah. every, everybody has to have, you know, fill out a hip survey. I got two of those sitting on my desk right now. Well, yeah. here's the thing yeah. about a hip survey is they don't, they, they, they max you out. They say 31 or more. To a hundred. Yeah. Oh, is it 31 or more? Yeah, it's, it's like, like 0 to 7, yeah. 8 to 11, what, it goes up like that. Thir- 31 or more. I'm so always in these... the 31 plus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and most like guys that are going hard are, are 31 plus, but how do they get accurate numbers with a 31 or more? Yeah, let me hit you with a couple. Can't. Let me hit you with a couple stats from this deal that we're looking at, and then we'll, we'll then we can take off from there. So, for the first time in more than a half century, mallards were not the most common duck. This is from uh, Twin Cities. What is this newspaper? TwinCities.com? What the hell is that? Probably the Pioneer Press or something. Okay. 
For the first time in more than a half century, mallards were not the most common duck shot by Minnesota waterfowl hunters in 2022. Okay. Mallards were topped by both blue winged teal and ringneck ducks. Mallards had been the most harvested duck in the state since at least the 1960s. And that's coming from Steve Quartz, waterfowl specialist for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. So here's some numbers. Um, 125,812 blue winged teal last year, up from 81,000. So a significant incline. Up, Big up time. From, from 20, okay, so, so we're talking about 22 and 21. In 21, 81,000 blue, I'm, I'm rounding. In 21, you had 81,000 blue winged teal. In 22, you had 126,000 blue winged teal. Ringnecks, check this out. These are like wild fluctuations. 21, you had 29,000 ringnecks. 22, 72,000 ringnecks. Wow. So there you have like, I don't know, over two, I don't know, 2.25, whatever the hell. The mallard decline is not nearly as like, the, as a percentage, the mallard decline is not, it's stark, but it's not like as stark as it's, other declines, so or other increases. So you had those big increases. Then with mallards in 21, 84,000 mallards harvested. In 22, 63,000 mallards harvested. And then wood ducks, it's kind of like wood ducks are like, wood duck number and mallard numbers are like nuts on a dog. I mean, they're right in tight. Like you had 84,000 mallards, 84,000 wood ducks. 63,000 in 22, 62,000 wood ducks in 22. That's kind of incredible. Is that just coincidence? That's got to be coincidence, right? So so the blueing teal, the reason that those numbers, my guess is you have to look at, at weather severity for that, that time of year at, during that entire hunting season. My guess is it was a milder a season. winter. Yeah, winter. so, so those, otherwise oh, those so blue they haven't wings, split yet. Exactly. So blue wings, like if they feel a northern wind, they go. Got it. Like, like the like only reason guy. that they would stick around in Minnesota is it's it's not uh it's not the the weather severity is is not long enough and it's not strong enough for that for to move them. Same thing for the ringnecks. Although ringnecks are doing better now too. Got it. Got My it. the the interesting part is on the mallard side. Um, that could be a hunter thing. I would imagine a little bit of that where those number because wood ducks are also bred in the state. I actually have a wood duck project right now in minnesota trying to ask some of those questions mm -hmm. um but uh wood ducks are mostly bred in the state so those numbers shouldn't fluctuate unless hunter hunter numbers or hunter uh what's the word uh effort date effort is is not equivalent this throws out this hits max thing where it says um it seems more ducks are avoiding minnesota during their migration at least when most hunters are in the field. Hmm. Like they fly I, over Minnesota I, like peace. Well, that's yeah. it. Do they just fly around it? I I just don't I, I, I don't think they do that. I've that'd never be a good been, ad for Minnesota hunters so but hunters so not bad. Hunters so good. good. <laughs> the ducks avoid us. Ducks go fly over Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I've just never been asked ever species specific surveying. Oh, on my hip. Me neither. No, 
I've never been asked how many ring necks I've killed this how year. How many ducks? Or, yeah. Ducks well, they must general. be doing, I mean, they got some pretty precise damn numbers. They must be doing some kind of, uh, they must be doing survey. some kind of survey information. Yeah. So the, a lot of those surveys. And again, this is one state, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, one state. Those will come from wing bee harvest. If anybody knows what, the, I think you guys talked about wing bees where you, uh, a random number of hunt, uh, waterfowl hunters in this country are. Uh, asked to cut off a wing and send them in. Oh, I got oh, it. Man, yeah. they hit yeah. me with that for years one time. Yeah, they, that was a lot of paperwork. It was. A lot of envelopes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you just kept shooting them, didn't you? Well, yeah, it motivated <laughs> me to hunt more. So, yeah. <laughs> research, research. I, wanted, I was like, I don't want these suckers to think I'm no good. <laughs> so I was like, I got to go duck hunt because they sent me all these envelopes, man. And they're going to think, think I'm lazy. <laughs> on top of it, it uh, they'll have surveys at all of the WMAs or wildlife management areas where they'll be where you have to go in and you say, and they actually check your bag and they're like, okay. And then they extrapolate. You can extrapolate. So they do model it. Yeah. Got it. A little bit of that. They have not like specifically counted all of these ducks. I mean, if you, if I'm in my backwoods shooting wood ducks and stuff, nobody's, nobody's asking that because you're right. The only other survey, direct survey is just a general number of how many ducks did you shoot? Which is the hip. Uh, Can I tell you a quick thing about wood ducks? It's interesting. One time when I was a kid, uh, we would hunt wood ducks in their roost ponds at night. Mm. And uh, with a BB at, gun, at night? super effective. <laughs> I don't mean that at night, but it was like, the evening, at last I don't night. mean at night, but evening. I mean like it'd be you know, I'd hate to go there now and with a game warden and have him with a watch. Mm. You know, know what time it was. I mean, I do remember like we were like you know, just it just was different i don't know we just weren't aware of stuff but i, I do remember like marveling at the sparks coming out of the <laughs> of the shotgun barrel shotgun you know? <laughs> first light last light huh? no, yeah. right, right at the end man and it'd be uh yeah you'd be out with a flashlight trying to find down ducks but it'd be like a great way to ruin a spot that is we sure. had enough spots that uh, you know we we'd keep real busy for like five six days and we just blow every spot because it just ruins it That's however cool. one time we were cleaning wood ducks and had a wood duck Check this out. You know what his crop had in it? What is it? A bunch of salmon eggs. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. He uh, was down in the creek picking up salmon spawn. Yeah, that's amazing that you're... you're so I don't know that. So I have a study look at using DNA from poop of ducks uh-huh. to do diet. We're, we're trying to do a different way. The original way is you go out, you shoot like 200 birds, you figure out what they eat. Like kind of like what crop you did. Analysis. Crop analysis. Crop yeah. analysis. But instead, we're using DNA uh, analyzing of the feces, and we're get and we're matching up pretty well so far with like crop. But we're getting a ton of ton of the veg that you can't analyze because it's just green veg. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that keeps coming up is is fish. Fish keep with com- with all the ducks. Okay. And my hypothesis right now is that it's bycatch. Right, fish are putting eggs on all the veg, and they're eating the veg. Oh, I and they're gotta, and they're mm, taking it as gotta, bycatch. Oh, they are not. I got a picture. The fish, there's no way that they're fish or be, the eggs. The, oh, oh, this was like a full fish. No, you know what a salmon egg looks like. Yeah. No, no, no. this isn't this isn't bycatch. No, I understand that might be like actually target because mallards this do is target. A big yeah. orange. Egg. I understand. I understand. But you're thinking he's trying to eat weeds and catching fish. Or fish eggs. Fish, fish eggs. Eggs. No, eggs. Okay. Yeah, so we keep coming up with, with... Now I'm back with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're with you. I was pissed for a minute. <laughs> I'm with you now. Eggs. Yeah, no, eggs. Eggs, yeah. yeah. But they're in everything. Gadwell, Widgeon, 
Everything we've been studying, it keeps coming all just up. stuck to the... Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, a, it's a complete different calorie count that we've never really considered as far as I'm con- as I as I see it. So it's kind of interesting that it's that I'm the Woody, I'm sure maybe mistakenly got him, which is an interesting in itself. But mm-hmm. we've had mallards <laughs> on bad diet in Minnesota. There's a paper out there, I think it's Minnesota, where they would go into salmon ponds and actually catch some of the like fry. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now why do you think that a duck isn't um why do you think that a duck isn't selecting for vegetation that's coated in eggs? That's a good question. I don't know. I I just don't think. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they could be, but it would be. It, it just wouldn't make sense right now. I guess I don't know. Okay. I mean, they. You're saying you're telling me they're like looking around at the veg, like, oh, that one's got a whole bunch of eggs. I'm gonna eat that. Yes. They could do that. Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. That's what I would be wondering. Cause I mean, nobody's, caloric, nobody's really the, tested cause that. Cause the caloric load would be that so That baby is calorie yeah. rich. I that, need to dive down and get that. Yeah. Cause you've got, you've got things like Widgeon that are so specialists on just veg, they, right? So they're not even omnivorous really. Got it. And so, and they're still picking it up. So yeah. that's gotta be bycatch, but you're yeah. right. I mean, this is completely new. Like that we, that every time we analyze something, fish, is like ninety percent in all in, in all of the feces and understand ninety yeah, percent so. though too. What's that? Ninety percent you said? Yeah, like wow. of the samples we've collected, and that's you know we focus on mallards, Mexican ducks, model ducks because it's in Texas, but we have uh, uh, sample you know widgeon, gadwall, other mm-hmm. other stuff that that we've sampled as well. It's in 90%. It's not 90% of the... Oh, yeah. It's in okay. 90% gotcha. of the samples. Gotcha. Right? So that's okay. a high... That's, that's, Some amount of fish egg. Yeah. Got it. So, yeah. You know, you remember when... Uh, when they banned lead shot for waterfowl, which had been, what, like 80? 80, 80? It was... The good old days. 92. 92? <laughs> when they banned lead for waterfowl? Yeah. Uh, the legislation was late 80s, and then it finally went into effect 92, 94. Sti- were some states, were some states ahead of it, though? It was when Kurt Cobain died. Yeah, right around that. I didn't know those were linked. Mm. <laughs> um, Checks out. Uh, I used to tell people, like, but my understanding was that, that they would, that the reason ducks were ingesting a lot of shot is they were picking it up as grit for their crop. That's correct. Okay, yeah. that is. Yeah. So I've heard correct. other people say, no, 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 no. They're just getting it. No, but, no. They're, they're so going, they would they were pick, going down. They would pick shot for their crop. Yeah, and yeah. there's been plenty of studies that showcase that, that it's all it's all accidental pickup because they're going to get rock, right, grit. And it just, the, the amount of lead shot at that time that was uh, at the surface, you know, at the surface of, 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 uh, the lake sediment was really high, so they were the pro- probability of picking it up was really high. Yeah, but then um, they did several studies where they just basically churn the sediment over, and all of a sudden they don't pick it up. And then obviously, when the uh, when the lead ban went into effect, there were studies ten years late, you know, two years later, five years later, ten years later, and a constant decline of lead in in waterfowl. So because c- the sediment kept. Yeah, kept, kept ba- burying over. the lead yeah. and the lead settled down. So now all the lead's way down there for someone else to have a problem with later on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of ducks eating stuff, I was always amazed as a fishing guy that you'd be out there during just an amazing hatch 
I think it used to use mostly be midges, I think, or mayflies, not so much the caddis, but you'd see those ducks get into an eddy where all those bugs would be getting caught and they would just be pounding Mowing. away. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, I thought you just ate like white bread and lettuce leaves. But no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the salmon fly hatch for the geese, I mean, you watch those like during the salmon fly hatch. Oh, you really? see those big broods of geese up on the bank shores. They're just smashing salmon flies. Seriously? Oh, oh yeah. man. So cool. Like, if you ever hit the salmon fly hatch right, which is incredibly challenging regardless. Like, yeah. hold on, Canada geese. Yeah. Feeding on those. Oh, oh man. Yeah. You see whole brute. I mean, you'll have, you know, eight groups of, groups of eight or whatever, and they're just smashing those those salmon flies. I mean, salmon flies are this yeah. big. I'm not a squeamish man. Yeah. But when you open up a crop, I never like to see... Uh, I don't like to see. I, I don't like to see critters. Yeah, <laughs> especially because when you open up, they're still alive. You yeah. know, like you open up a hunt, it's like yeah. grasshoppers yeah. are still yeah. moving yeah. around. Yeah. Same with turkeys too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, dude, just come on, eat some, eat some clover or something. Yeah. Berries. Before I, before yeah, tur- turkeys barley, too. Right yeah. over there. Yeah, I don't need to see all this. It's upsetting my meal plan. Uh, Phil, how'd you get interested in ducks? Duck hunting. Hmm. Yeah. So well, now walk me through. Take me back to Russia. Yeah. It was cold. January. You never hunted ducks in Russia because you were probably well, too three. little. You were three. Yeah, we were, I was three So you were born we in Russia. In Moscow. Talking Russian. Yeah, yeah. So my parents, the way in Russia it works, you know, you just drop your child off in the middle of the woods, and if they come back, it's okay. Yep. Yep, that's what happened. It was January, so it was cold, but I mm. made it. Uh, no, so we, were, we, we got over to the States in 89, Okay. and uh, I think I was telling you... Uh, Choice of two evils, uh, Los Angeles and New York. And because you, you guys just weren't into the whole Russia scene. Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if you know, note this, but um, a lot of Russians fall out of windows occasionally oh, just yeah. by chance and bear attacks every time. Sure. Yeah. Uh, as we just learned with when. Um, <laughs> Bringing it space, back. Why did I space yeah. his name already? <laughs> he was the most interesting man in, in the world for a few days. The, the Wagner group. Oh, Wagner. Yeah. Oh, the, the leader Pergozin? of Wagner. Pergozin. Yeah, airplanes fall like out of the said, sky. Like when said, like, Pergozin, everybody's like, I wouldn't go near an open window. <laughs> and sure enough. So, yeah. Anyway, so we got over, uh, and then my folks obviously had to work, and but then eventually ha- my dad finally got enough cash and bought a shotgun. And when we went because out. how did he? How was he even aware that hunting was a thing? This is the thing I he was wondering about my dad because my dad was raised by uh, Italian immigrants. Yeah, and the the journey of becoming even aware that this is like a thing you can engage in is interesting, right? Yeah. So the interesting thing is Los Angeles has a lot of really great sporting clays area. Okay, and he shot. I mean, he hunted in Russia. So oh, he, he wanted, did. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I got so you now. all right. So he wanted to do it, so he kind of got it. We started uh, going to some of the sporting clays areas. Eventually, I competed there, and and then um, really, yeah. How good I, are you? I, I'm <laughs> I'm 31 plus on ducks every year. So you always get checked. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, he quits at 31. <laughs> um, yeah, so. There's a place called Salton Sea. Do you know where that oh, is? I know it well, yeah. That's where I grew. So that's where we started hunting, mostly dove initially, and then uh, started to hunt ducks. And uh, that's where I shot my first dove when I was 10 with my dad's 12 gauge. And that was probably the most expensive shot ever because, you know, that set my entire life forward of Got wait, it. 
putting a lot of money into this sport. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, we started hunting ducks, and I loved it. I mean, that's what we did. I didn't really get into big game because California is a hard place, especially without uh, without private property and knowing people. I hear and this everything. all the time, but I have a little bit of a hard time believing it. Look, I hunted A zone yeah. a ton. I the only thing I got was a two by one all those years. Okay. Uh, I was real proud. And uh as you should have been. Yeah. yeah. And uh it's it's just hard. And also my dad hunted big game Russian style, which is a lot more drive driving with shotguns. There's no well, rifles. I can say with those giant Soviet helicopters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> First you fly in in one of those. Uh, so it was completely different, right? Mm. The way big game hunting here is. So I didn't really get into it until like 14, 15. So until then, I was, uh, I was duck hunting most weekends. Uh, in LA, I was mostly, I would tell them I'm just fishing because apparently fishing's okay. Hunting's not so much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so like that, when you had to explain where you'd been, yeah, where, where were you this week? I was fishing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I got into it and then that sort of set my tone forward. I went to, uh, undergrad at UC Davis up in Sacramento. One of the reasons I went there besides getting in, hunting uh, ducks. The hunting ducks. Yeah. Uh, sack refuge and all of that is there. So it's great hunting. So did you know you're going to be a duck researcher at that point? I didn't. I thought I was going to be the guy in uh, Jurassic Park that brings back all the dinosaurs, but then, I, and that's why I'm a geneticist. Oh, you were interested in that. Oh yeah. Do you remain interested in that? I I I am, but mm -hmm. it's impossible. Although, well, well. So I'm on. Yeah. I'm part of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not <laughs> the way my kids understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. So yeah, so I'm on the board with Revive and Restore as well as Colossal, the ones trying to bring back the mammoth. Yeah, are uh, you on the advisory panel or the board? Uh, no, advisory, just like a science. Congratulations. In fact, there's a meeting right now that I'm missing, but that's okay. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am interested in it. Um, but to be fair, I got into fisheries at UC Davis. So I was doing uh, trout, Sacramento purge, doing genetics on them creating uh, uh, captive breeding programs to, for releases and stuff like that, looking at hybridization between red bands and r rainbows and all this. And then I, I realized, like, I like talking about fish, but I really like talking about ducks. Yeah. And so uh, for graduate school, I went to Ohio at Wright State University. Uh, there was a guy there, had the money that uh, I needed, told me I could do whatever I want, and it was perfect. And uh, the only the only difference is that I became a whitetail hunter for a little while while in Ohio. Ohio. I, I I never understood this field hunting situation. Uh, eventually, I figured it out, but it wasn't for me. I like I like big open wetlands and yep. calling big spreads, these types of things. Um, but yeah, so and that's where I I dove into a waterfowl research, primarily mallard complex. So. I don't know if you know this, there are 14 species of mallard-like ducks all around the world. Uh, here in North America, we have the mallard, uh, American black duck, two types of model duck, Florida and West Gulf Coast, and the Mexican duck. And those are all real tight. Sister species? Yeah. Yeah, genetically, yeah. So, they're, so those are the most recent, recently diverged groups. So they, they diverged about half a million years ago. The rest of the group, the African black duck, yellow-billed duck, mallard duck in Africa... Uh, a couple spotbill ducks in Asia, uh, Pacific black duck, New Zealand gray duck, Hawaiian duck, lace sand duck. Those are more old, about a million, two million year old 
okay. divergence. Yeah, so I I started diving deep into it, and uh, we're gonna start getting into some some of this uh, stuff that I am interested in. But more or less, what I do is I take genetic information. I ask questions in the evolutionary side, trying to get into nature. You know, <laughs> well, now you know, and now I know uh, climate change. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, but but I'm really big on uh, management, right? So, and it's taken me over a decade to show how genetics can play in management, uh, more applied aspects, and so how that kind of you have to explain should... what what you mean by that. That means uh, when I talk about genetics to a bunch of wildlifers, they usually like roll their eyes back and they're like, "Oh, this is going to be about Drosophila or mice or something like that," because that's that's what they've known what genetics is. And so they are just like, that's not applied, you know, band recoveries, telemetry units, you know, that's habitat a, that's service, what that's applied. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, and so, you know, we finally come to uh, uh, this time point where these new methods that I was part of developing, developing and, and kind of bringing to the forefront, lots of people use some of the methods that I do, but what it does is it allows us to get a snapshot of a genome of every individual for for low cost mm -hmm. and all and very quick. Uh, the turnaround times are quick, quick enough that data can be attained within months and can go into models or anything else and actually feed feed into decision making before. You know, genetics, you, you go out, you shoot a bunch of birds or, or collect them from hunters, and sometimes it, it would take five, six years just to get the data. It's, it was hard. Um, computationally, we weren't there. Uh, methodologically, we weren't there. And, uh, uh, but thankfully, when I was coming up, all of that, computers, sequencing technology, all of that kind of like came to a point where we were able to do some real world uh, questions and applications with, and obviously I did it on ducks. But if you look at what I've done, I've anybody anything that's got DNA and some money, you know, we work on. So can you run tests real cheap when I send you bones? Bones, bones are going to be yeah. How old are those bones? Ancient, ancient well, bones. I like them to be. A lot of times they're not. <laughs> I, I would have to. <laughs> I've, I've gotten thinking. some disappointing results. So I'm always like, but it was so deep. So we, uh, the, the best we've done, and I would have to go to my Smithsonian colleagues because they've got an ancient lab there where we work. Mm -hmm. And we did 1,500 to 1,000 year old bones out of Hawaii. Okay. And duck we were bones? Looking, duck bones. And uh, really? the fun part about this, in the same cave where Polynesians were eating, yeah. there was a laysan duck, a Hawaiian duck, and something they thought was a Hawaiian duck based on the bone morphology turned out to be a northern shoveler from Alaska. Really? Yeah. And Crazy. did they have butcher marks on the bones? I don't know. I didn't get know. to look at them. Teeth uh, marks. Uh, no, yeah. So so we sort of... So uh, the paper that... Where we're going right now. So something that we can do, we've got a study hopefully... Uh, published in a year or so as we finish up. But we've got mallards now sampled from 1800 to today across space-time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so... so where'd, you get the, where, where'd you get the 1800 mallard from? They're, they're from uh, 27 partnering National Museum, so thank you all. Oh, did you get anything from Cornell? We did. Dude, we went to yeah. Cornell. We were at Cornell, and they opened this door, and we're in their, their bird collection thing. And so 
you know, I asked like what apparently everybody in the planet has is um, you guys got any uh, um, passenger pigeons? Mm. No, not pass. What the hell? Am I, was yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And an ivory billed woodpecker. Everybody asks about the same bird so much to keep in the same drawer. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, here's a drawer that like every like idiot wants to look into, and they open it up and it's uh, passenger pigeons, ivory billed woodpecker. Who else is in there? Just like the ones, those, those main ones. Yeah, the right ones here. where people are like, uh, extinct species. Let yeah. me think for a minute. Yeah. Oh, La- Labrador. They ha- did they have a Labrador they had duck? A Labrador duck. Yeah, that yeah. was the other uh, one. I think it was in that. I think that it, was was, in the it same might have drawer. been in that thing. <laughs> the layman but, um, drawer. Dude, it was crazy, man, to hold one. And the ivory billed woodpecker, I used to dog on people. You know when people are, are like, oh, I saw an ivory billed woodpecker. And then they come out and be like, ah, oh, you idiot. It was a um, pileated pileated woodpecker. Well, listen, I know a lot of people spend a lot of time out, out in the woods. I could have laid that down in the woods and they would have said, oh, a pileated woodpecker. Mm. It's not, it's very, it, that is an excusable mistake. But point being, I bet they got some feathers if you hadn't thought of this. No, uh, we're, to we're, get your, to we're, get your jeans out I of. suggested to revive and restore. No, no, I was, no, I'm talking about the mallards. They probably got some old ass mallards. Oh, they do. Oh, we okay, got yeah. eight of them. They're supposed to ship them. So we're, we're do we finished all the genetics. We're doing morphology. So we're doing 3D scanning of their heads to look oh. at change in bill. So their feeding mechanism. And I'll mm. explain why this is really? important across time and space. You've no doubt, uh, read the book, The Beak of the Finch. I have not. Really? Yeah. Oh. Well, you might be like, it might be too uh, elementary for you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's about, <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> no, the beak of the finch. It's about how you can watch the bill size on finches. Oh. They, you can watch the beak size on finches change in the Galapagos. You like, can. Like, in, I don't want to say in real time, but I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, the Grant uh, husband and wife group uh, watched a new species evolved since they started studying Darwin's finches on the Galapagos. What happened was two species came on one, one island, bred, made this thing what we call a hybrid, but it, the hybrid was so distinct from its parents, the way the types of food that they ate, that 30 years later, genetically, they were just their own, now their huh. own, own thing. That's what the, yeah, okay. This book hmm. might yeah. detail for a layman the research, but it was these birds are colonizing a new area yeah. with different food resources. And as they come in and they're like, whatever, they're trying to get into a seed that's a harder shell. Correct. Because they're, they're in an area they hadn't been before. And you can watch selective pressures yeah. on those birds and watch their beaks change as they become accustomed to and have selective pressures applied around who's really good at getting seeds. And, and that, you know? and that, you know, I think I had this conversation on another podcast about like evolution. What do you mean another podcast? <laughs> uh, what? Others. There's others. Really? <laughs> so another... I've done some podcasts. <laughs> Anyways, oh, no, like people are like, oh, evolution, what's that? Honestly, the only, the only, Name of the game in nature and what evolution is, is be as good or better than everybody else, right? So all you're trying to do is limit competition. And the good or better is that you either survive better and or have more babies, right? The more babies you have, the more genes that are on the landscape and thus you're winning. And so nature and island systems like the Galapagos are so interesting because it's so fast there, right? The pressures are like, nope, you didn't eat, you die. That's mm-hmm. a se- that's what we call a selective pressure of one, where it's like, no, nope, those genes are gone. And so it's so much faster for 
uh, uh, adaptations to arise or go extinct because the ecology changes so quickly and everything. Um, God, I was going somewhere with that. The hell was I talking about? Hmm, oh, no, I know what I need bones. to ask you. Um, I want to get to this this whole thing with mallards and mallard, like, like when you let pretend ducks go. Yeah. Okay, I want to get to that. But uh, give me an example of how genetics could play into management. Like, I don't get it. Like, give me a concrete, specific example of how genetic analysis would play into management. Yeah, so I'll give you a study that we're doing right now. So the mo- the model ducks on the West Gulf Coast have been declining in 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 size. Okay, slow that down. Say that again. Model ducks on the Gulf Coast regions of Texas and Louisiana, okay. mostly Texas, are, have been declining. Okay. And uh, the surveys they were doing, um, but at the same time in West Texas, so the brush country of West Texas, have you been there? Yep. Yeah. Do does anybody know what I'm talking about? Lots of ranches. You know, Johnny, big Ca- high you know that Johnny Cash song? I've been everywhere, man. That's me and Yanni. That's you, yeah. <laughs> um, in America. In America. <laughs> America. Uh, are, and anyway, so th- there's a bunch of brown-looking birds. So if you've never looked at a model duck, it's a, it's a brown-looking mallard. Yeah, it looks people, like a hen. Yeah, everybody says Like people that. mistake yeah. them, right? <laughs> yeah. But the, the T- Texas Parks and Wildlife wants to do surveys to be like, okay, is this a population crash? Are the population shifting? And for that, they needed to know what the heck these things are from an aerial perspective. So then they contacted me and what we did was we took we took birds, we collected. In fact, you were having a discussion about does anybody go out scientific collecting with a shotgun anymore? Oh yeah. Yeah. You, with your fouling piece? That's that's what we do. You get to do some fouling? In May. So we go out Ooh. all Can I come along we, and do yeah, that I'm, sometime? I'm free. Yeah. Does that count in the um Survey, survey two for when you do your hip survey, do you put down <laughs> no one, no yeah. one is 31 <laughs> plus extra? No, so we um, so we need to have breeding pairs, right? So we took hunter harvest, we took out anything we could, but we needed also what is breeding in this landscape. Okay, so we went all the way from uh, I'm from Texas, but I, I I don't know anything about Texas, so like Dallas all the way to the Mexico uh, Texas border, right? Yep, uh, and so. Because there's another situation happening. Mexican ducks, which is another type of mallard-like duck, are expanding out of Mexico, kind of like a bomb out of Mexico into Arizona, uh, New Mexico, uh, Texas. There's even breeding pairs that we genetically vetted in Colorado. They just fly right over the wall. They just yeah. Mm. Imagine that. Yeah. They don't need. I thought they would dig under. Um, anyway, so so we did this. So we went uh, um, from one end to the other. Okay. And lo and behold, both of them came in. And so on the one side, if you get all the way to about San Antonio and you draw a line, model ducks. Okay. Then something that we didn't expect but hy- hypothesized, model duck, Mexican duck hybrids in this tiny band. And then all of a sudden, just Mexican ducks. So they're both coming mm. in and interbreeding in this location. So the model ducks are dis- or, or declining, but what's replacing them is... Is modeled up more model ducks and potentially these hybrids. So we like, didn't. What do, you, what do you call the hybrids? A Mexican duck model duck hybrid. Mexican model. But, okay. Mexican. What do you call it? Two generations later. So that's what. So we're looking at how many generations they can interbreed. It seems like we're picking up back crosses, which means like 
geographically, if you're closer to the model duck group, you yeah. back cross into model duck and you become more and more model duckish. I got it. On the other end, close to the Mexican border, they're back cross crossing into Mexican ducks. And so they become more Mexican duck-like. Yep. But there's this band, uh, uh, this this really narrow, what we call a contact zone, mm -hmm. um, where there, it's just hybrids, which is completely new. But they're totally healthy. They're, as, as far, so that's, that's part of the like diet analysis with the feces. Uh, we're looking at bill morphology, uh, uh, muscle fiber morphology to understand, can they still fly the same? Do they feed the same? Mm -hmm. what, what, you know, is there anything that would suggest these are um, less adapted than their parents? Yep. So anyway, so the, the point of this, how, to get back to your question, mm -hmm. how does genetics uh, it, it, uh, provide applied aspects? So that data, right? So I, I plot all that on a map so everybody understands what's happening. That data is now fed back to Texas Parks and Wildlife to say, okay, we need to go in these regions to ban because our probability of getting a model duck, because that's what we care about, is really high. Yep. And so we're going to ban there. But on top of it, they're shifting, they're going to be shifting surveys over and start uh, counting those ducks. So again, a population decline versus a population range shift have very different management implications. Yeah. Right? So this is how it's feeding into that. And we've got studies in Hawaii, Arizona, all American Samoa doing similar things, trying to tell them what they're working with and, and how the genetics plays on the landscape. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct to consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket just ask my buddy chili who's been slipping around in his tacova boots talking about how great he feels in them he loves them yeah steve they're very comfortable they're very fashionable and i enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere i go around bozeman stop by your local tacova store have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer 
the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like clean out your garage, and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch, okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater, and you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Here's a question about genetics and how it's applied in management. It'd be, I'll start with a story. Do it. Years ago, it must have been in the early 90s, uh, I was hunting ducks on the St. Mary's River, which separates Michigan's Upper Peninsula from Canada. Um, and I remember getting checked by uh, a state and federal game warden. Right, I remember I had I was like I'm sitting there with a hen mallard, mm-hmm. and I remember they're going, "What kind of duck is that?" Yeah, and I was like, "The fact that he asked me that makes me think that that's not what I think it is." <laughs> so I'm like, "A black duck, good." You know, I was like, sure. Sure question. I only said that because you brought it up. So, if oftentimes you'll find um, when people are pointing out endemics, they're pointing out hybrids. It's like they're they're really down to the gnat's ass, and they're like parsing things out that to a layman they might not even notice. If you if okay, you don't so, know what you're looking for, yeah. yeah so yeah, if you had to take sure. like duck knowledge, like average duck knowledge on a yeah, and then you put it on a spectrum of one to ten, yeah. And do you got to be like a ten point five to go down to this place in Texas and pick up one of those ducks and be wait a minute, this is a modeled Mexican Mexican hybrid. hybrid, or would it just be to a duck hunter? It would just be like it, it would be called a dusky duck because that's what they call them right now. Okay, so Texas. Texas, I think Arizona has a dusky duck limit, and it's usually one or two. And they just say anything that's equivalent to a black duck, a model duck, a Mexican duck. I'll go here now. New Mexico, oh, okay, is so under they're the bundle, they're bundling black ducks, All model ducks, yeah. dusky ducks. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, Mexican. What's the, what's the full Mex- name? Mexican yeah, Mexican Mali. duck. It's just the Mexican duck. Yeah, Mexican duck. Okay, that model modeled duck. a black duck. Yeah. And all hybrids. in one, called and dusky the duck. They're just calling them all dusk. 
That's that that's in the game game rules. Yeah, that's in the hunting regs. Uh, and so so sell me on the this the sell me on that what you're talking about here, like the mallard thing that we're going to get to. Yeah. I get, but sell me on why this matters. Oh well, I mean, this would matter if we don't find any if if. If model ducks are declining at the rates that they are in the Gulf Coast region, then Texas Parks and Wildlife is probably going to have to make some serious decisions. But they're being replaced by... Right. But if they're not... They're being replaced, which we didn't know. So now we have to understand, all right, so they're being replaced. They're not being replaced. They're making more, right? That's what a contact zone. They keep coming together and it's like fringe. They're at the fringe of both of their ranges. And this is what happens. It's kind of like a, gr a growler. Grizzly polars on yep. the fringes well, are starting to, like, yeah, are starting yeah. to interbreed more and more, right? <laughs> and uh, and so now it's a question of, all right, like, so we have this situation. Not only do my maps allow people who are really interested in hybrids go there, okay, but also that that it it dictates, all right. So what do we do with these types of birds? So Texas Parks and Wildlife may have to have additional season or additional information for those areas, those regional areas. On top of it, how do what do they mean towards model duck or Mexican duck conservation? Like how do they count towards those numbers? I can't tell you because I because nope. they're the ones making the rules and I'll leave them to that. Um, but we're there to supply the information, the maps, the the idea the knowledge of what's occurring on the landscape and they can then use that to make better decisions uh, outside of just being like they're all brown ducks. I guess it's let's just call them. So, ha, ha, were there human causes? Is it of interest because it's like human behavior, human landscape changes yeah. are leading to this collision? Because I could see that then you'd be like, well, now we're forced to pay attention to it because we're making it happen. So that's that. That's definitely a question. So one of the the issue on the Gulf Coast is eroding habitat. That's that's a thing, okay. right? So the question is then, all right. So is that eroding habitat? causing decline, you know, survival and, and, and fecundity or baby making. And that's why we're seeing a decline or are those birds just leaving? Right. Mm. So that was the they're first... losing X thousands of acres of Correct. wetland every year. Yeah. yeah. Is it wetland or food stuff? Both. Oh, I mean, it's okay. wetland yeah. and then it turns into food stuff. So, so, but what's interesting as I was driving around West Texas is and noticing all these large, uh, high fenced, preserves that have really beautiful stock tanks mm -hmm. and corn everywhere. Mm -hmm. And nobody there wants to shoot a mallard because they got to shoot that Neil guy over there. Mm. So my hypothesis currently is they're both moving in because the habitat's actually there. It's man-made, but it's there year round. Nobody's shooting them, mm -hmm. at least as far as we can tell. I know one guy that is. Well, in man. But only a little bit. Oh, no. Oh, you know, <laughs> he's doing he a little bit on the uh, in the in the places with the Neil guy, and then mm -hmm. the beautiful ponds, and you're yeah. like, my God, the ducks. Yep, they'll now and then get some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we have... and I walk around being like, that is all I would do. So so yeah. So I would. Uh, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I I contacted a bunch of landowners, and I I, I went on some other podcasts asking for help, hmm. um, and I got contacts and. But then, like, I was in Texas, and then nobody, like, nobody, like, called me up. So I had an outfitter out there. Uh, what part of Texas are you interested in? I could probably help you. It's more or less all of West. We we went from, like I said, Houston, Dallas area, all the way to the the. Uh, uh, so west of that is I don't, I'm trying to figure out what West you... Texas. Yeah. So oh, if right. you draw a line, 
you know, that way and all the way south, like that triangle. Yeah, well, have you? Yeah. I feel like I know, well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know all kinds of people who'd let you go out there and do it with your following. Well, they piece. say yes. And then I'm like, I'm I'm in your area, you know, calling them and nobody's calling me back because they're like, oh. And, and I told them I'd always be like, look, blinders on. Let me go to your pond. Yeah, but what's that? Birds. What's the, what's the, remember the guy we had, those dudes we had on about the ocelots? Uh huh. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what area are they in? The Cleaver. Uh, yeah. I don't want to name yeah, the name. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. listen. Yeah. This is going to be my contribution to have American their... science. <laughs> I will find you a bunch of places to go get your ducks. Well, yeah, so that would be great because we have a few more. Um, we have a few counties that are pretty poor, poorly uh, uh, sampled. Okay. And, uh, and they're right. Like, you know, we could shift that line of where the zone is potentially a few miles this way or a few miles that way by getting them. Yeah. And that would shift there. Do you like where... to be close to the Gulf Coast, though? No, no, those are all model ducks. Like you don't we, want to be we, oh, we sampled okay. a ton my, of a my ton of birds. Doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, we went from <laughs> to be fair, we went from Louisiana all the way across. Gotcha. And it was model duck, model duck, model duck, model duck, and all of a sudden, this like new genetic variant, which are which now we know are are these hybrids and hybrids, and then it goes Mexican duck. So it's this very clean sort of interesting story that we'll be hopefully publishing soon and. Figuring that whole thing Can you thing draw out. a picture of Texas and show me where you wish you could be? This is gonna be I'm a bad pulling picture. up some. Where's that? Two, two. Um, draw the little corn kernels in the pond, too. Yeah, yeah just so I know exactly. Okay, there's Texas. Let's do that. I think we. That whole area. That's where you want to be. I think you have yeah. South Let me Texas see that paper. access, but. Tip of Texas. Uh, going north. Oh, this way. Yeah. Wait, no, that that way. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Phil, can you turn this camera on? Yep, you got it. Here's Texas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, I'm, everybody points this out. Do you know that you could fit Texas, California, and most of Montana into Alaska? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I don't mean to emasculate you Texans, <sighs> but especially when I'm trying to hit you up. If you're in this little honey hole and you got one of them sweet ponds, Call Dr. Phil. Call Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil is going to be like, hold it, what? <laughs> the other Dr. Phil. You can also write the Meat Eater podcast at the Meat Eater Dr. And have the subject line be, um, fouling piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so that, that's, that was a long way of showing how, where genetics has come into play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to understand, 10 years ago, I would go into a conference. Of, uh, it's, it's called the North American Duck Symposium, called Ducks. Nads? Yeah, I didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is Nads? It's called Ducks now, okay? Ducks 9. Is it, it's North American be in, Duck it, Society? Your cup says Nads. Yeah. No, oh, I'm aware. <laughs> okay. I'm aware. And is that like, are they, they, they recognize that that's funny or no? It's no longer funny. They made it unfunny. Well, yeah. The joke wore off. The jo- joke wore off. Okay. Yeah. Right. Eight, eight, eight conferences in. Yeah. Nads Anyways, <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be in Portland in February. You uh-huh. should come. Anyways, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, some of the first ones that I would go to, I mean, everybody would be like, oh, there's that geneticist, that weird geneticist dude. Because um, they just didn't see the, like, what it could do. What, what 
that data can provide. You know, there's so many studies out there, right? So you're, you're handling all these mallards and you're putting bands on them and you're putting telemetry units and a bird that stays in an urban setting versus a bird that does migration, you'll be like, oh, maybe that's just part of their population and, and, and their history. Uh, uh, and genetics allows you to go in and be like, ooh, that one's a feral mallard and that one was a wild mallard. You're starting to have a better and a true foundation to what you're actually asking. So your your future questions will be eh, less biased. You know, uh, before we get into the mallard thing, do you remember... Brady, Matt, do you guys remember when there used to be, I don't know, 27 kinds of Canada geese? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden one day they're like, nope, there's three. Or yeah. I don't, what, what is, shrunk what, it down like, like what seven. is the popular number now? Like seven? seven? 11 to seven. 11. But there used to be like ridiculous is, numbers. There's, I think 11 is pretty, pretty commonly agreed on right now. Okay. Yeah. That came from you folks. <laughs> that came from my, me folks. Yeah. That came from your Well, your, so no, that's really? not true. You had this discussion with Cornell, I believe. So we folks provide data. And we're like, look at how different these things are. Okay. And then there's the American Ornithological Union here. There's the British Ornithological Union. Every country has their own unions. Yep. And then they use that data to say, should they be species? So they're the taxonomists that, okay. that make the decisions. But to they're looking it. at what you they're supplied looking. for them. So the Mexican duck, when this was a good example, Mexican duck was full species when it was first uh, identified in like 1890 something. Then everybody's like, oh no, there's lots of hybridization in the 60s. So they, 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 they bumped it down to a subspecies of the mallard. Hybridization with mallards was the problem. And then years later, I came along and I started to, to use some of this latest and greatest genetic genomic techniques and actually found out that, oh, all of these things that you thought were hybrids are actually uh, juvenile or first year males. And they... Na- naturally express mallard traits because it's still in their genetics, but they're not hybrids. And there's lots, mm. and then we found mm. lots of unique genetic signatures that are tied with a desert lifestyle. Okay. And so AOU, American Ornithological Union, used that information to then re-elevate them in 20, 2020 uh, back to full species, only recently. So they got bumped back to be in their own They are duck. their own full species. So if you've got, you know, the slam going, you got to got to come back 41 there. is that yeah. what it is now 41? how many, how many things are in the slam 41 mexican wow. ducks the newest one. yeah so is yeah. it 42 i think it's 42 it's i'm gonna say it's 42. how close are you guys i mean i was like eight off here for a while you're eight off yeah have you closed you've got so you've gotten all the i need eight. like my model ducks and tree ducks and that that weird stuff in the south you know the Whistling stuff he's talking ducks, about yeah. mm-hmm. Huh. Mm. Did you get them all stuffed? But like, no, I don't have them all stuffed. I, I wish I did. I wish I would have done it kind of like our, our friend down the road, Mark Pierce. You know, oh, he's dude. got them all like yeah. flying oh, in the same like, direction. Yeah. It's like one big flaw. That's a cool amazing. I would have loved to have started yeah. that. But... Yeah, because I always think like I've gotten a lot of stuff over the years, just whatever, and I go in there, I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> nope. <Yeah. laughs> well, and it's just tough. I mean, you know, back when we were really shooting them, you know, even when I went to Alaska, I was there on a on a photo shoot and I got to hunt a king eider and i shot the mm. you know the male and the female and and shot some scoters and stuff like that but shit man i couldn't afford to stuff everything like you oh, can't it's expensive you know it's expensive to do it you know four or five hundred bucks a piece to do it right and it's more than you got paid for the photo shoot yeah no kidding yeah you'd, you'd been running <laughs> yeah. a deficit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so y- years ago we were out in uh um the east shore chesapeake bay 
and we're driving down the road and we're going over a bridge. Okay. And I look and it's just like, I even commented on to my friend because it's duck season. I knew it was duck season. And we go over a bridge and there's mallards sitting. It just didn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And I even said to him, I'm like, I cannot believe that, you know, just like how they were sort of occupying this slough and its proximity. I, I even commented like, that just seems weird. Those mallards be doing that right in the middle of duck season. It was. Yeah. And he goes, well, how much time you got, you know? And it was, and I had, I didn't know that this was, I didn't know that it went on that like the same way you do pheasants where you just like let pheasants out. I had no idea yeah. that there is a thing of, of pen, releasing pen raised mallards. It's a thing. And the reason I thought like, the reason I thought was because pheasants, you know, pheasants are non-native and I thought it was that one of the reasons they're so widely released like that is because it's a non-native anyways. You're not upsetting any kind of wild bird population. At least as far as we think. Okay, okay. At least as far as I thought. Maybe you can tell me otherwise. And so it just winds up being like, here's a species that is out there. They require a lot of human assistance. If you want to supplement with pen-raised birds, knock yourself out. Like you're, You're not interfering with anything. But the fact that you could let mallards go was really surprising to me. But then I've learned since then that it's somewhat a widespread practice. Yeah, it and, sure and they appoint. And he said, when like this used to be, Chesapeake Bay was sort of you know, in some ways kind of like like the birthplace of American duck hunting. And as bird numbers declined, um, it just became a they artificially inflated numbers to maintain that and what you're driving by is these hunt clubs and they have mallards that that are just hanging around in a way that just seems makes them seem like they don't quite know what's going on you know um and you've spent some time on this now i sure did is that the segue that's the segue all right that's a good setup (laughs) that's good that's great yeah so um yes so in a nutshell that's that's more or less what happened but we've i've sort of reconstructed exactly what what potentially happened so if nobody here knows this the mallard is the wolf of all domestic ducks, right? So like the wolf is of the dog. The mallard is that to all domestic ducks. Uh, I, Pekin, I, you lost me. All right. So Pekin duck. Oh, yeah. Rowan. That's what you mean call. by the wolf of. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They pulled all the domestics off of mallards? Yeah, just like you could get a chihuahua off of a wolf. <laughs> okay, this is interesting because I always, you know... Uh, what we pulled cattle from is gone. Orc. Yeah, they're the trying orc. to bring it yeah. yeah, the orc is yeah. gone. What we pulled the pig from is still around. Yeah. Sue Scroffa. Yeah. What we pulled sheep from, I believe, is still around. I think, so that was out of what, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Arabia, Northern Africa. That would have been red sheep, I think is the, 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 yeah, ancestral, the ancestral one. one. Uh, what we pulled the horse from is, I think, gone. Uh, so they, so, Revive and Restore recently uh, cloned the second, I'm going to say this wrong, Peswick? Peswick? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's like the, the foundation species. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So the, I had no idea. The mallard. The mallard. Is the duck that created, that the, they pulled all the domestics from. Yeah, so they were one of the last successful domestication events uh, about really? 5,000 years ago. Okay. So there's only two, well, three, the goose sort of, but the only other good domestication was in South America with Muscovies. Yep. They kind of just look like a oh. Muscovy. 
that's how you say Muscovy. it? Muscovy. That's all I think. Yeah. yeah. Either way. Um, um, e- either is acceptable? In my book. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so the Mallard, you, you know, there's good writings about the Ming Dynasty was one of the first ones to start domestication, domesticating the process of domestication of, of, of uh, Mallards. And that was for food, right? Make okay. them fatter, faster, uh, 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 making more eggs, these types of things. Now, 5,000 years ago. About, yeah. Okay. And now, again, domestication is a process, so it ebbs and flows, happens all over the... Once once it's started, then those things get transitioned, just kind of like uh, labs made themselves, you know, there's English labs, yeah. American labs, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, anyway, so... so 1631 is the first writing uh, from King Charles II asking his squires to go. No, I just add the squires part, but to add, but to go get mallard eggs for the purpose of raising and releasing for hunting purposes. So he was a duck 1631. Hunter. 1631. Mm. The the name Game Farm Mallard was first, as far as I know, recorded in 1890s in in England by by people ringing them and calling them Game Farm Mallard. I'm going to refer to g- this thing called a Game Farm Mallard, but all it really is is a domestic variant, right? It's a name, okay. just like a lab or a Chihuahua or whatever Beagle is a name. Pekin Duck, Rowan Duck, Runners, Call Ducks, all these things have names, right? So this thing is called a game farm mallard because it was farmed for, for gaminess. Yeah. So what they were, what they were interested, what people were interested in Europe primarily at the time, was to make something you know flightier, uh, something that flies faster and, and is you know sportier than that than I don't know than whatever was around. Just to, just like a, a pheasant shoot, but with with ducks, right? Okay. They're flying. More erratic, more like a make a a, a a mallard fly like a widgeon. Got it. oh okay. You so know? the objective, the same way a pigeon fancier, yeah, yeah, wants to make pigeons that have all these crazy colors. Correct. They so, were like, breed me yeah, up a crazy like, ass. All right, we want to make this hard. Yeah. Breed yeah, me up yeah. a crazy flying duck. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now let's uh, move forward to America. Yeah. So you, you Hold one sec. Yeah. Did they do what? Did they in Europe? Did they do the tower? Is that what they're doing? Tower shoots? They do both. They do. So currently, um, how bad? I guess bad is relative. I think is bad. Uh, so so they do tower shoots, but they also release Nighttime. right before the season. Yeah. France releases three million of these things to have a fall flight now. Oh wow! No. Yeah. Wow. Oh wow! That was last year's numbers. I think that's a staggering number. That's huge. France cuts loose lo- three million mallards. Something like that. Like game farm mallards. Game farm mallards. Things oh, that you gee. breed and you release right before the season, just like you would release pheasants. You know, be- before Thanksgiving, youth, Christmas maybe. Yeah. Well, there's another point, important distinction here between pheasants, though. Is no, 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 like, yeah. like the galliforms. Yeah. You like that word? Yeah, I like it. That was, that was a trivia question, that meteor <laughs> trivia that I got right not too long ago. One of the def- defining features of the galliforms is they don't really go anywhere. Correct. That's the biggest difference. They have a small difference. home range. When you cut a mallet loose, that son of a bitch takes off. Yeah. So, yeah. so dogmatically, wait, can we go to America now? Oh, Where I'm ready. Good? Okay. All right. So, so you're right. So the gunning years of the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you know, market hunting, mm-hmm. di- uh, uh, 
was spelled demise for all our bird populations, including passenger pigeon eventually going extinct, heath hen going extinct for now. Oh, we held one of those. Ah, uh, yeah. Remember that, Corinne? Mm-hmm. They had it in that drawer I'm talking about. <laughs> the extinct drawer. <laughs> I don't think they had the duck. I think they had the, it was heath ivory hen. bills, passengers, and heath hen. Okay. In the special I drawer. Don't, I don't totally yeah. remember, Right by the door. But... I, I will note that my contribution uh, so far is to revive and restore is so far just suggesting we should bring back the Labrador duck. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I said I would get the first tag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, okay. So we America. are, we are uh, gunning years, uh, population crashes. And so uh, what did folks do? There's two things that are occurring. So if you don't know this, east of the Mississippi River was boreal forest, right? Mm-hmm. And the duck mallards were were vagrants, which oh, means no, 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 no. Uh, we're going east back. Of the Mississippi wasn't boreal forest. Yes, it was during the Pleistocene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, so, that, that's so what we're, going about? we're going oh, okay. there. All right. Because we have we have a very good distinction here. The east of the Mississippi before humans started cutting things down was mostly boreal forest. And the ecological replacement, which means the thing that is better than the other thing, to the mallard in that area was the American black duck. That is the reason it is completely dark, both males and females, because you could think of a boreal forest, an aerial predator going overhead. The selection pressure isn't to look fancy to the female because you're getting picked off. So now males and females have to look the same. All right, so there's a bunch of black ducks. Uh, very few mallards. So mallards tended to go, still go into the Southeast Atlantic flyways, the Eastern seaboard, but the Northeast, it was vagrant, like a cinnamon teal, Mm -hmm. right? So you didn't, you didn't shoot mallards there, but of course, so now let's fast forward to 1920-ish. Duck numbers are down. People are like, all right, what do we do about these numbers? But also that area was like, we want to shoot mallards too. Mm -hmm. All right. So because mallard is king. There it is. Big green head. Big green head. Tastes good. Same, same yeah. thing. Did you know, did everybody see the story of uh, the hunter? I think she was a thousand years old in Nova Scotia. Last la- last meal, yeah. mallard. Yep. Yeah. Chestnuts. <laughs> chestnuts and mallard. Yeah, chestnuts and mallard. Yeah. So we've been doing this for a while. Everybody loves mallards. Yeah. Um, she was, uh, what else did she had she been eating? Well, she also had a lot of diseases. I remember seeing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. I think her last—they were saying her, her diet was. Uh, I don't remember. I, I remember just, the chestnuts and mallard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. went Christ. out on a high. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so so uh, so folks first tried to start breeding programs with our wild birds, mallards and black ducks. Okay. They didn't take because it's they're wild. It takes time for them to be like, okay, I'm gonna not stress out, I'm going to make eggs, all these types of things. So they, that failed, and, but somebody must have known that the Europeans already got this right. You know, can I, let me ask you extra detail about this, because you just said something that's interesting. They found the opposite with turkeys. That, which, okay. which ones? Well, Tell me. Okay. When they started trying to repopulate turkeys. Out of, the, out of PA, those last turkeys. Well, everywhere they, I mean, they recovered turkeys all yeah. over the damn place, but yeah. what they found initially, they were trying to use captive bred yeah. birds. Yeah. But the captive bred birds wouldn't take. Yeah. And then they eventually came to the conclusion they had to use wild bred birds. Correct. To distribute them around. So you saying that um, 
that they, they had an opposite experience with ducks or am no, I, no, wrong? It's, am I it's, getting this wrong? It's the, no, cause that the, the point of that was actually establishing populations. Currently they just want to make ducks. Okay. Right. So those are two different, uh, wants, right? So, Oh, they're not say, recovering but, something. They're yeah, just trying to get something going. Exactly. I got it. Yeah. All right. So they went, so the, so someone must've known that the Europeans like figured this out and brought game farm mallards here. And I'll explain how I figure that out. But, so they, they started propagating them. And from about 1920, 1960, they released about half a million of these things just in the Eastern seaboard every year. And then 1960 to today is about 250,000 to our best estimates. But my guess is it's way more than that. So these game farm still getting released, still annually. getting released and still of the progeny of these European birds. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, is this the state doing this or is this just like, private currently people. it's private yeah. uh when it first started it was state fed private everybody was yeah. trying to raise them in fact more game birds for america do you know who they became anybody do you yeah uh, i had no yeah. idea they now, there's a good trivia question yeah no. do you know who uh james ford bell started what which other one delta waterfall yeah mm -hmm. so they both initially <laughs> wanted to do game farm mallards too and uh hmm. Hot, yeah, uh, Delta Waterfowl had a whole, their first thing in the Delta Marshes. What year? What was it? 1930. They were still trying okay. this stuff in 1930s. Anyway, so they, uh, but they showed that the, that they, but their premise was make ducks that actually make more ducks in the wild. Okay. And Delta saw that that was a failing venture because they they didn't survive long enough didn't make the same because they so you could take point, these european ducks yeah these european mallards yeah. cut them loose and then the next year just no successful reproduction yeah you're going you out have to just there, cut them gonna... loose all over again correct yeah it never they never took off so the yeah. dogma since then of why we continue to release them is that they are some oh that the other fun fact is everybody tells me that oh well they're born here they can like smell their way here and so they don't leave here. It's like their house, no matter what. <laughs> and if they do leave, they die. And if they don't die, they definitely don't breed. That's the dogma that I was under, including when I was in school in, in uh, uh, UC Davis. I was, I was learning about this. Can you, tell me, can you tell me that again, what, the dogma? How the dogma was that it's okay to release these things, okay. sort of like pheasants. Like, look, winter's going to come. Uh, the the coyotes are going to get them like nobody's going to survive okay right so the dogma was these things are trained quote unquote if you can't see them uh uh to to stay on the wetland that they're you know Understood. made and, and that and would it, so that would help and they that that posturing or that belief alleviated yeah. concerns that Correct. you're going to let this sort of like global pandora's box out Correct. by taking this animal and it flies and all around the world and spreads yeah. itself everywhere. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so that happened for a hundred years, and uh, I was studying black American black ducks and mallards. So, if you don't know this, American black duck again, a very close relative spe sister species or relative to the to the mallard. In fact, off the mallard tree, it was a mallard in North America, and then evolved, adapted to boreal forest. And so, and over the last half million years, turned into what we now consider the American black duck. Is there is? Can you tell? Uh, I have such little experience with black ducks. Can Can you tell the hens from the drakes by looking at them? Yeah, yeah. it's tough. In but flight, it's really hard. In yeah. flight, it's hard. <clears throat> yeah, no bit, no green head. Obviously, no. Yeah. It's you have to have. What is the? What are you looking at, Bill? Bill. 
Yeah. Oh, and the also, only thing. Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. And okay. can't you look at the speculum too? Um, you can, but they're it, not supposed to have a white wing bar. So the white so wing that's bar. So the hybrid in between maybe native and okay <laughs> that's that's what i know yeah no and and your in your thought process was correct u.s fish and wildlife so this is part of this study we were saying like okay so we're at this wing bee where all these things and you know professionals are calling mallard black duck hybrid you know based on those characteristics mm-hmm. you know the amount of white on them and all this other stuff so we did the genetics on them and, the, and one of the things management implication they're only 60 percent accurate at calling uh, hybrids from either parental, the other percents were either should have been black ducks or mallards. Hmm. And on the mallard and black duck side, 20% of those should have been on the hybrid. So those numbers are going into our models, right? Potentially causing issues in survival estimates, fecundity estimates, and so forth. You know, this is starting to sound like is when you show people a deer's teeth and they tell you how old it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Opening a can of worms. Without yeah. cutting into it. Yeah. Yeah. It winds up being like, <laughs> that's a maybe. Sem- that's a seven and a half year old buck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, so, but within that study, I started picking up this genetic signature that didn't, uh, that wasn't black duck and it wasn't Western Mallard. So okay. West, by Western Mallard, I mean west of the Mississippi River. Okay. West of the Mississippi River, they're all this one genetic cluster. And then as you go east, this secondary genetic cluster that is mixed with the Western genetic cluster started to come in higher and higher abundance. And when we looked at black duck hybrids, they tended to backcross with this other genetic signature. So that was 2019. I knew the story of this game farm releases. And of course, dogmatically, I was like, oh, I shouldn't look at that. Like, that's, that's not a thing. They don't right? go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. And I saw that. I'm like, no way. So, but to, you know, prove to the scientific community and... Uh, I had to go and get known game farm mallards. So I, I actually sent my wife to uh, New Jersey and a couple other places. Uh, and we collected bur- we collected known game farm mallards from some of these preserves. How did she get them? She shot them. You sent her out as a client. Uh, <laughs> did you really? Undercover, <laughs> un- undercover client. Seriously. I've heard these stories before. <laughs> I knew where this story was about to go. So You sent your wife to masquerade as a client to bring you the ducks. Well, on top of it, though, she was also giving me information of where these birds that she didn't didn't just come to the pond go, and they all they all went to this location. And when I immediately in real time Google mapped where they were going, they're all going to a wildlife refuge. You're kidding me! Yeah. So they know where they're going. God, it's like an undercover component. This yeah, is, yeah. This is this is dark. I like it's it. It's like a John Lacar novel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so now. Those Jer- so now we're back to Jersey. Uh-huh. Uh, they're probably about to go kill me. Uh, so so all right. So we had that. We had known game farm, right? And then on top of it, I'm like, well, there's park ducks everywhere. And the nice thing is, uh, we were banding Mexican ducks, and alongside them, there were there were khaki Campbells, which is a different variant of mallard. Okay. Uh, so we had those. So they are were our proxy other park duck domestic thing, right? So is, if this genetic signature was park duck we would be able to tell that or if it was game farm we would be able to tell that because we had that but i also know knew that people were gonna be like well maybe eastern mallards were always genetically different so that's when i went to the smithsonian and picked up mallards harvested from 1860 to 1915 so before all those releases so i want to thank all hunters 
uh, now from before and today that we're depositing birds into museum collections. Natural, natural hunting is cons- conservation. Is. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, so, and so we got genetics off of those birds. Okay. And so we compared everybody. First thing, that other genetic signature, game farm mallard. I was like, all right, so we know that. But were they always like that? No. They were the genetic signature of a mallard, 150-year-old mallard, mm-hmm. was that which, which you have here in Montana. Okay. Uh, in the prairies, so for now. Uh, and, um, and this other genetic signature was causing that the eastern mallard to be completely different than uh, what is Western Mallard today and historically. Hmm. So is our, it acting wa- different? Well, that's where we're going to go. Okay. So, so our North American wild mallard uh, has had that the premise of that 2020 paper was that the, the release of game farm mallards had foundationally transformed the genetic integrity of our wild mallard. All right. So hmm. then. I was like, all right, let's look at how this occurs across the world. Um, and for that, we had to go to Europe. And, and on top of it, be like, okay, are, are our game farm mallards from Europe? You know, had to prove that. So you well, had to send your wife there. So I had to send, no. <laughs> I, I would have gone. No, I had colleagues in Europe. They, they sent me a whole bunch of DNA and blood and all this other stuff from Sweden. Uh, all, almost. What did we do? Twelve countries. It's in it's can in we, that can, paper right there. Can we back up for one sec. Your wife is she a duck hunter? She is. Okay. Yeah. Did she bring friends? Uh, no. She was just solo client. She's, it's, I'm just a here. Bit strange. No, like no, a single woman I, shows up to the hunting club with her fouling with her fouling piece and just like <laughs> let's go. Uh, well, wait. We also requested that the dogs handle the birds. Uh, uh, carefully, because we were making a mount. A mount. Oh, wow. that's good. Wow. Yeah. I have a quick question. Backing up real quick. Uh, yeah. Khaki Campbell. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. Is it? Uh, no, I see it. I'm. I'm curious if yeah. that is commonly known as a blonde mallard. Maybe. So eventually really? we're gonna and, get. And into... I'm not trying to like deviate. However, like this is. Yeah. In my mind, as a hunter, this is this is very interesting to me. Yeah, because like the blonde mal- mallard was always like genetics, and uh-huh. like it was just losing its color. Yeah, okay. we've always Not thought it was like a, it was like a leucistic yeah, exactly. mallard, if that's even a real. So this thing. is the domestic tree of life for uh for for oh, for mallards. Because a blonde mallard is a prized piece for for yeah. very yeah. very. You should hold uh, that up to one of Phil's cameras. Here's one right here. Might be a little out of focus, but there you go, Matt. Um, I have a I have a quick question as well. So oh, as you're yeah. talking about Can't eastern see Mississippi, <laughs> so many of these mallards have game farm bird genetics in them. Um, Matt and I have a lot of friends east and south, east of the Mississippi and in the southern United States who claim that they know ducks better than anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a culture that prides itself on being duck hunters. Would it be fair in your scientific opinion for us when we are hunting with them to let them know that the birds that they so love and shoot are, are in fact mutts. genetically inferior. I think that's what he's getting at. To what we have. I'll I'll let you make that uh, conclusion. Okay. Yeah, just be like, but, oh, but you afterwards, mean, you mean can your, you, your game farm ducks, the can game you, farm ducks you guys got. Can you write me a note after? <laughs> like sign it. Like I want proof that like I'm telling you, the From man said this. Yeah, Doctor Phil tells you. Because I want to have, I would like to have some, some 
bragging rights. Yeah, so yeah. be like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's we're like, hunting purebreds. Yeah, it's game farm ducks, dude. <laughs> and like, no wonder you got them. Yeah. <laughs> I'd hope you got. I'd, I'd hope <laughs> you come on. <laughs> I'd hope you'd be able to get one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You guys don't even need calls. You just go quack quack, and they right. well, seriously come over. Right. Yeah. Okay, like we're gonna put, talk more about put, this. Put white bread out. Actually, don't feed that. That causes them. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh. Um. All right. Uh. All right. So. So we were doing it. So where was that night? Uh, 2020 paper. Yeah, so you're global. Global. So I also knew that they released Game Farm Mallards in New Zealand. They stopped in 19, what was it? 1970s or so, I think is the date. Um, so what, what was their duck? We, th- we, we records show both Game Farm Mallards were bought from Europe and brought there. That was the first time. But did they have, a, what, what native ducks did they have? Oh, uh, did they have a mallard like? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's called the New Zealand gray duck. Okay, it's mm. part of the Pacific black duck group. But but it's it's a it's a mallard off. It's, it's like a mallard a, offshoot. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. totally well, different though. Yeah. All right. So we call this mallard complex. It's like a mallard complex. But actually, the mallard was not the source for all of these other ducks. It's it's an African species, which was completely. We probably extinct, but most likely part of like the African black duck, yellow bill duck group. Hmm. We call it the Mallard Complex because we have a complex with mallards. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, and we because everybody, everybody knows everybody, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's like mallard. Oh yeah. Anyway, so so uh, so we, I had done a scientific collecting trip in New Zealand where we collected 400 birds all around the South Island uh, and North your Island. piece. Fowling piece. Yeah. Did you do 400. it out of season or in season? No, in in season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just straight up hunting. It's called scientific collecting. But, I mean, you guys are like decoying <laughs> scientists. I oh, really you're like decoying and calling, or <laughs> well, that's how you get them in. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you get some other thing like <laughs> no. you're shoot, like, like you're a rocket out, like you're shooting <laughs> them out of golf course ponds. I don't know. No, uh, maybe in Mexico we yeah. did that. I've been, uh, in New but you're like like I would have looked and been like those guys are duck hunting, but yeah. in fact you were yeah. collecting specimens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Fun. So so we did this whole thing. So I had a bunch of mallards. That are so so their population. I think their last estimate was also three. It's about three million. So they're doing well. The question is, where did they come from, right? Okay. So we know that they had two efforts of bringing in mallards into New Zealand. One came out of Europe, and another one they came to North America and they bought mallards from North America. Really? Thinking, assuming they were different. Hey, uh, uh, when I was in New Zealand, I shot with my rifle a Canada goose. Did ya? Yeah, which are like wide open yeah, yeah. with a rifle. That's the same deal, right? I mean, it is Can't, those those were Canada geese that were brought. I don't know where they brought, were brought from, but I'm assuming from the states. Got they just it. brought like just 50 cut, birds. they just cut cut them loose. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, you know the moose that they brought there was, I think, Newfie. They think they're gone. Yeah, but every so often they like pop up. It's be- yeah, it's become yeah. their ties. It's yeah. become their Tasmanian tiger. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct to consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili. 
who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs. And here's one of those buddies, Max. Not the dog, but the buddy. I've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states, U.S. and Canada. Different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees, and it just doesn't stop working. I'm a fan for life. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. Uh, so, Phil, I was in uh, New Zealand, and I did a duck hunt as well, and their prize duck is the mallard, right? Everybody wants yeah. to shoot the mallard down there. I and would was, you look and be like, that's a mallard? Well, no. so here's my thing. Uh, so I wanted to shoot parries because parries yeah. are super cool. Yeah. Uh, What's that duck? Uh, so paradise a, duck? A paradise shell duck, yep. Yeah. So Super it, pretty. Fascinating. And that's native to there. Yeah. Yep, okay. and it's fascinating that uh, with the paradise shell duck, not to get off subject, but uh, the the drake is actually black, yeah, and the hen is all colored up, yeah. Hmm. I, I I gotta believe it has to do with no land predators, but so I was looking at the mallard there. Good. Yeah. yeah, really cool duck. Um, so the so the female is the one with the white head. Yeah. Um, huh. 
So I was looking at the mallards there, and the mallards don't fly high. <clears throat> they fly really low to the ground, right? And so I was like, gosh, these mallards are kind of weird. They work a little bit funny over the decoys, work to the call a little bit different. We get them in, and I was convinced that the legs of the mallard were further towards the head than of the ducks that we usually shoot. And the only thing that I could come up with was that maybe on the nesting site, they don't, because they don't have any land predators, they don't have to like stand straight up. So they're more adapt for, you know, hanging out on the ground and feeding and, and mm -hmm. doing that sort of thing. Mm. But I could tell a very distinct difference between not only the way they acted, but the way they looked. Yeah. In yeah. New Zealand specifically. I'm assuming you never saw one perfectly looking green head. I, uh, I mean, they all They're, looked the same. Yeah, I, they, 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 they looked different. Yeah. Not like a farm duck, but like, different mm -hmm. yeah 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 so so new zealand had their source was game farm mallards from from europe and from north america another one we went i uh, have a study looking at hawaiian ducks and this issue with hybridization with domestic mallards there so so i had mallards from hawaii as well i thought those were going to be park ducks so let's just like move forward into the to, into what we now know uh Feral populations on Hawaii as well as New Zealand, source population were game farm mallards. Okay. The interesting thing there is both of those locations had a stop on release, right? So for, for 50, 60 years- A formal stop. A formal stop, yeah. right? So you weren't adding stuff into it. We, I know that New Zealand, New Zealand's like the best case situation to compare because it's at, at, at a larger scale, but they, they, they went with 30,000 birds. They had a drop in population size and now have 3 million. So obviously there was enough genetic variation, enough situation where they were able to survive through the like, oh, we have really bad genetics and then come out the other end. Mm -hmm. Now our, our work also suggests that they interbred with those New Zealand gray ducks. And mm. it looks like they got some of those functionally important genes from them. Got it. Which is super cool. But the other part of it, there's no predators, right? That gives them time to be like, oh, we're really bad at life, but we'll survive long <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah right? feral cats are the only thing that kill them. Yeah. And New Zealanders, as if you guys have been there, man, they like to just shoot everything off, like cats, everything, you know, they, they're, they're there to shoot stuff. Um, so anyway, so Europe, we, we were able to confirm, is the, the game, the, the wild mallard from Europe is the ancestor of all mallards, including in North America. Now, we got birds, the only genetic difference was mallards out of Greenland. Don't know exactly what, what mm -hmm. that's about, but it's most likely that a, a bunch of mallards went there and sort of like a, probably a long time ago and turned into, you know, genetically changed. Yep. through time the the important thing here is that game farm mallards from europe are the thing that is here in hawaii new zealand and elsewhere so this single lineage it wasn't it wasn't khaki campbells or any any other all the genetics this alternative non-wild genetics came from game farm mallards yep. so their release across the world at this point has resulted not only in feral populations, but also just geographically widespread hybridization with local populations. Mm -hmm. And in our case, the wild mallard. So coming to, so because we had, so that study was 2000 samples. 
two, about 2,000, 1,916 samples worldwide, about 1,300 samples here in North America, mostly Atlantic Flyway, Mississippi Flyway. And then we put about 400 birds, uh, mostly uh, from the Canadian provinces that go all the way to Alaska. Okay. All right. So what happens in North America is you have a decrease in this genetic signature east to west, right? Exactly where the releases are. So then if we zoom in where we had where we identified hot spots, so kind of like epicenters of of hybridization this situation, can anybody guess in North America where the epicenter is? Chesapeake Bay. Almost, yeah, Jersey. Ooh. <laughs> Jersey looks Back like France Jersey. genetically. It's there really every time, like no matter what year I go, <laughs> no matter what year I go, Jersey will always have feral mallard, feral game farm. Now I have to explain where, where are like, they coming from there? The really the some of the major release groups are there. So they got they got like the duck. It's numbers. They, they do just, the duck stocking. Yeah. So huh. so uh, that location. Mm-hmm. And now some of our uh, uh, newer studies uh, in the Great Lakes region is starting to find that the Great Lakes region is starting to look like Jersey and France. And these are three locations that are not doing great in duck number, in mallard numbers. Uh, This is going to bring back the whole freedom fry thing again, man. (laughs) So so anyway, so sticking with uh, North America, just to give you some numbers. The Atlantic Flyway, so we had... Uh, hunting season, non-hunting season. So summer, summer uh, uh, banding time. So like, what are we banding in the, in the states? And and we did it state. We have every single state because banding's we, always done in the summer. Correct. Okay. Yeah, there's winter banding as well now, but um, the majority of the banding is summer because when they're molting, it's easy to get them. Yeah, you think yeah. that that represents your per, uh, production okay. oh, of I that see. state, right? Yeah. So that's the production. So. There's um all right, so Jersey, Massachusetts, in whether it's hunting or non-hunting, I can't find a wild mallard. It's like zero percent. What? Really? Yeah. They're Where? Only, Massachusetts, Jersey, Connecticut. Um uh, I'm, I'm missing, but that whole little You're saying in the summer. In the summer. What you they're go, banding. If you in the summer, you go out to a state game refuge in New Jersey. You're handling either a feral bird thunk or a, a mallard, hybrid. Thunk a mallard over the head, that's not a wild mallard. Yeah. Genetically, well, but okay. You're well, funny. I mean, I don't. So I yeah, guess. so it's not a North American wild mallard anymore. So New York's a little bit better. I think they were like 60, 60, 40, 60% mostly wild, forty. But New York's an interesting piece because we now know that there is a substantial number of Canadian birds, Canadian birds, mallards out of Canada moving in to those states when we didn't think they were. So they're adding to the production. And what I can tell you is that Canada is, is more is, like Quebec is 60-40, 60% wild, 40% hybrid feral. Uh, I did want to mention. Now, have they, has Quebec, does Quebec have a history of cutting birds loose? Not that we know of. No, it's, it's a so push. It's, it's, okay, so they didn't create this. It's just happening to them. So that's the yeah. whole epicenter of what we find. So what a feral bird is, is a bird that is in the wild. Right? They're not in the cage anymore. They're in the wild. I don't know if they're in the wild this year, last year, mm-hmm. whatever. So I no. just have to call them feral, just like you would call a feral pig. Right? If you let loose pigs 
And then you had no idea and you came out to some property in West Texas, you'd be like, oh, feral pigs. Mm. Right? Because you had no idea. But you don't know the individual's history. Correct. He could be 10th generation in the wild, first generation, but he's just feral. Right. And so where you expect... Uh, so the epicenter would always have feral birds as well as things that are backcrossing, genetically interbreeding with these game farm lineages. So you have things that are moving uh, a, like between wild and game farm, but more game farmy. Yeah. And, and so that's an epicenter, that, and that's Jersey. What happens as you move away from Jersey is it sort of dissipates. So these genes are being perpetuated through the landscape, but then what they're doing is eventually backcrossing into yep. wild. So they're becoming more wild. Now, the problem with Atlantic flyway in the U.S. side is there's no more parental. The average, if you go out somewhere in the Atlantic flyway, the average, just general average, some states are better, obviously. You look at a mallard currently, well, at least in 2023, yeah, currently, 22, uh, it's 2%. Wild. Wild. You got You drop a mallard out of the sky, in in the Atlantic Flyway. It's about two percent. Again, some states are better than like others. Like the and all the, that stuff. the 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 fake not not fake. <laughs> the feral ducks have effectively in these areas they have replaced wild mallards more or less. Yeah. Let me hit you with the. Let me hit. Let, let's say you're right. not interested. Let's say you don't care about endemism and and you just like to hunt ducks, and you don't care about the genetics of the duck. Yeah. So, so let me hit you with the who cares. I mean, well, uh, is is New Jersey just kicking ass at duck recruitment? No. No? No, that's okay. the problem. So okay. the Atlantic Flyway <laughs> has been declining 2% in its annual production over the last 20 years. Just constantly ticking, 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 ticking. In fact, they were down 480, 500. I think they somehow found... Like, re- regardless of the genetic background, we're just talking like ducks. No, mallards. We're talking about mallards. I'm sorry. I'm we are sorry. talking about mean, mallards. Okay. And the same mallards, time, yeah. like, d- mallards, regardless of what, what you're counting, if you're, you're like, there are fewer and fewer mallards, mallards. there every year. Yeah. Regardless year. of whether you're dividing them into wild or... Well, or, we didn't know what was the cause. Yeah. But you know that... They're, now we know. They all have a... Their, their heritage is all... We now know the farm her- raised heritage. and their numbers are going down. So the qu- next question is obviously, does it matter? Yeah, right? sure. Um, all right. So it's about 2% there. But then as you go to the Mississippi Flyway, it, there's an interesting aspect. And we, uh, 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 some work between Brian Davis out of Mississippi State, Rick Kaminsky and others, uh, Kevin Ringelman, we did a, a sort of like lower Mississippi uh, allu- alluvial valley if you know that area mm-hmm. georgia louisiana uh parts of missouri we bu- got a bunch of birds there and then i've partnered with ben lukanen out of michigan state uh got a whole bunch hundreds of birds out of the great lakes and and there's this interesting dynamic you go south of tennessee 94 mm-hmm. percent of those birds are wild just wild straight up wild Okay. Go north of Tennessee towards the Great Lakes. It's increasingly becoming more and more game farming. So current estimates, general, again, average 70, 30, 70% game farming, feral versus- Out of 30%. the Great Lakes. Yeah, and the Great Lakes is the next place where those populations have been declining. They're exactly those locations. So again, you could say, oh, you have no data for association of that sort, sure. But my hypothesis is that at yeah. least provide something is happening. So again, uh, uh, so what's, so, so, all right. So now everybody's on track. 
I got a question. Yeah. Are you grabbing these ducks during the breeding season? Like sure. so, yeah, from so, all these different states. Yeah, so so that works. So they're they're breeding. The two 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 separate lo- separate types of sampling. So we do hunter harvest sa- sampling. Yeah, hunters are just you know during the hunting season we get okay. a bunch of samples. Uh, but then there's banding crews again. Ben Lukanen and his his crew out of the Great Lakes. Uh, Doug Osborne out of University of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brad Cohen out of Tennessee Tech uh, and Brian Brian Davis out of Mississippi State. They're constantly catching, putting telemetry units and banding and all that yep. stuff out, and out of those states. swabbing these birds as they so hold then, them. Yeah. So then I partnered with them and be like, all right, just bleed them a little bit and get me that sample, right? Mm-hmm. We're not killing those birds. Um, so, so, uh, so then we have those two comparisons. What are we banding during what are, summer? And then what are we harvesting? So we have those types of comparisons. So we're building those data sets to answer how does the mixture between Canada-raised mallards and U.S. mallards occur across the hunting time span? Because if you go to folks in the Mississippi, they'd be like, all our ducks are stopping in the north. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was just thinking about migration, and I'm like, yeah. how do you know where this exact duck came from? Yeah. Like, yeah, so so that was our question. All right, so we know this. So we we now we publish these papers, and we know this like different population dynamics going on. We you know um, so I partner with them, and we've got telemetry units on them. Right? Can anybody guess trivia where those birds in the Lower Mississippi Alluvia Valley are from, uh, given their genetics of wild? I made a hypothesis, and thankfully I was right. Midwest. More to the west. More prairie More bottle region. Yeah, prairie Dakota. bottle region, yeah. <clears throat> exactly, Dakota. Every every bird that was, uh, that oh, I think every bird, maybe not, maybe except for one, that was a hybrid, went to the Great Lakes. And then, really, yeah. And then the Great Lakes birds, do, they, do you think they have, so well, we have four years now of telemetry units tied with genetics, so we know what's happening. What do you think those birds are doing? Are they migrating? Are they, what would you expect? Well, which birds? Uh, ga- like Great Lakes birds, given that I told you about this like increasingly game farmy situation. Yeah, they should be holding. They should be holding right. strong. Where? Somewhere in up in the Great Lakes. Somewhere up in that region. Because they're not going to migrate all the way south. Yeah, they do a random walk. Yeah. A walk? A, it's called random walk. There isn't a straight path. Some birds go to the Atlantic. Some birds go south but then there's this wall in tennessee that they do not cross don't understand why trying to figure that out and they go straight back up all of the birds with 30 percent or more so they'll scatter off in various directions just it's more random yeah it's completely random it's it's not significantly different from random Right, so the the birds in the lower Mississippi have this like straight path. Just, well, have you been have you been able to watch any of these ducks and see what he does? Is he doing this? Is he is an individual duck doing the same thing, or is an individual duck doing different directions all the time? Individual duck is doing random walks. Okay, so in, yeah. in twenty twenty one he does this, in twenty twenty two he survive, does... they survive. Well, so it's uh, there. These ones are all females. I wish we would put males because they're the. Males and waterfowl are the dispersing sex. So if huh. you've got a game farmy male or a game farmy female, it's the male that's most likely to move the genes. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. But nobody wants to put telemetry units on males, apparently. It's unfortunate. Because they um, always get shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because then you can look at nest nesting propensity oh, yeah, yeah, nesting yeah, yeah. and all and you that's like the next it. that's yeah. the main question that they're all asking. Like, 
you know, the, these populations are declining. So they're always just like, okay, what are the females doing? Like, what is the problem yeah, with these females? I, I, have a, I have a timeline question because I'm just kind of tracking what you're saying. So boreal forests go way back. You had said yeah. that there was no mallards in the Vegas. northern Atlantic Northeastern. region. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That there was a bunch down south of Tennessee. Naturally, there was a bunch yeah. of wild down there already. There was none up in the New Jersey area. Yeah. So they brought them in. We have the American black duck who's not getting messed with, with, you know, what's going on here. And now all of a sudden there's mallards. Again, it kind of goes back to the who cares. Like now all of a sudden oh, we have a bunch of mallards like, yeah. there that we mm -hmm. didn't have before. Yeah. And they weren't migrating in because they're staying in Canada or coming around the Great Lakes or whatever. So like that region there, there's a population that was never there before and now it is. And yes, it's a game farm mallard. So is it more the the widespread of that that's the issue or is it... It's the spreading. It's the spreading that we don't like because... Yeah, having a mallard you. in New, New Jersey is seems like it's a success story. <laughs> yeah, but when you say that all the mallard, yeah, like all the mallards in New Jersey are game farm mallards, but was there ever a difference? Meaning they went from no mallards to just only game farm mallards. So I hope to answer that question soon uh, with those eighteen. So we did we redid that study. We have eight hundred historical samples from eighteen hundred to today to answer that question. How did it happen? Okay. We know what we have now. But you know where the samples a, came from. And we know exactly where the samples came from, what the dates, location, so, all so that. So there were mallards that got killed out of New Jersey yeah. in the 1800s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some number. Some number, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, people shoot, still shoot cinnamon teal in the, there every so often, right? So these things got collected. I'm sure at that time you shot a mallard, you're like, oh man, put this thing into got the it. museum. It was, you were surprised. Yeah. I see, I see, yeah. So, uh, some, some strays would go through there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. So so the, so the, so now we're seeing these migratory differences that are that at least to some extent are genetically associated because we have this nice association of an individual that's and it's very weird, don't know why yet, but 30% or more game farm makes them do weird things. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we've got so now we have sort of this like situation. Oh, the other thing is is birds in the Atlantic Flyway had a connect connectivity to the Atlantic Flyway. There's birds that are interchanging. So the, the question is like, why is there increasing game farm in the Great Lakes? Is it people releasing them? Mm -hmm. Or is it just this like kind of ebb and flow between the Atlantic Flyway and, and the Great Lakes region? Kind of this natural, semi-natural ebb and flow. That's the question that we hope to answer. Are there people releasing, uh, if they're releasing them, they're not supposed to be? That's a state, that's a state by state kind of situation. Well, I mean, how would you not know if they're releasing them in the Great Lakes? Nobody's keeping track of that, as far as I can tell. Okay. Yeah. So so someone could be, I mean, <sighs> the, the the Great Lakes is, I don't know what it is, five or six states, whatever the hell. Yeah. So Michigan, um, are there, there, there are not, to your knowledge, there are not places in Michigan that like advertise that they're dumping mallards. Not to my knowledge. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. The, thi the, the genetic signatures that I see there make me believe that people are because you because it looks like jersey it looks like france then the, the whole thing is like these things have a low survival right so uh a colleague of mine in sweden kind of did a survival estimate they said like three percent mm -hmm. but look three percent of half a million two hundred fifty thousand or half a million or more throughout time is more than enough yeah right and it's the it, it isn't really that it's the trickle effect it's the added every single year you're just you're continuing to move those genes into the population over and over and over 
We can go back to rainbow trout. So the fisheries are, are far ahead of what we do, where we are, because they've been studying this. It takes only three generations for, for rainbow trout to be in a stock tank uh, for, for 50% of the eggs to be inviable. Because what happens in this- in Really? A, yeah. Huh. And, and the same thing with quail. Only three or four generations of being in captivity, the viability decreases that much. And the reason for that is because everybody wins in a cage, right? So you're perpetuating these genes that would have been lost every single year by natural processes in mm -hmm. the wild. But now you're pushing the, putting them into the wild. You know, the Unabomber got into this. Oh, yeah. You read the Unabomber's no. manifesto? I know, I know the Unabomber. Yeah, no. Well, I'll just give it to oh you my real God. quick. Didn't, I didn't see this coming. He rates levels of difficulty uh, one to five in his manifesto. And he's like, um, one is, I can't remember if it was inverse or not, but let's say one is uh, try as hard as you can, you'll never succeed. Okay. Five is you don't even need to try and you'll succeed. His deal is that technology, that human survival used to hover like at the two three mm -hmm. you gotta try pretty hard yeah if you try pretty hard you'll be okay yeah now you can do the opposite of try you just sit there and computer. just be fine yeah and and that's part of his gripe with technology everybody wins in the cage everybody wins <laughs> so, so yeah and then he tied that to all the neuroses and you know what i mean i'm with but you there's nothing cleaning anything out anymore title yeah korean title mm -hmm. Well, we got away from. We don't do good titles. This is anymore. the second podcast this month where Steve's made the guest uncomfortable by being kind of like pro Unabomber. Yeah, I'm not pro Unabomber. I'm not at all pro Unabomber. It's just it's bringing it in. Uh, I'm not pro Unabomber at all. I took a class in college pl called Political Rhetoric, and we mm. read Political Rhetoric, everything from Dr. King, Camille Paglia, the Unabomber. Like we read it all. And I think a lot of people know about the Unabomber, but not a lot of people had to read the Unabomber's manifesto. No. So you had to read the Unabomber's manifesto. Are we going to talk about Charlie Manson now? We didn't read anything about Charlie. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'll have to write Dr. Gillis a note and tell him that he should have had some Charlie Manson writings in there. <laughs> but no, uh, I'm not pro Unabomber, but it's just, yeah, no, he I, had I a motive. He had, he had like motivating thoughts. No, yeah. I mean, in, Agree a, cage, with them or not. in a cage, everybody wins. I mean, I, I teach... I, I teach similar things, right? Is it not Unabomber things? Uh, I teach, you know, like, look, humans, everybody, everybody's surprised always that the effective population size of humans is 10,000 people. Mm. That's how many people there should be. And it hasn't changed. And, and everybody's like, well, why is that? That's because genetic, vari genetic variation doesn't come, come up that fast. Our population's exploded only in the last, 200 years really mm -hmm. right and so for a very very for 99 percent of our history we were at an effective population size of 10,000 breeding pairs mm -hmm. and that's what the earth was more or less okay with mm -hmm. um and so and so uh, there, was, there was a stability there was a stability and society domestication all of these things allowed that populations to grow but it's only that it uh, God, I got lost of where I was going with this, but but I'm going to it is because yeah, it, I threw you so, off that Unabomber society, shit. Didn't I? Yeah. Society, society <laughs> derailed is, you. Society is our cage. Yeah, and it becomes you know we 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 go further and further further to the four or five. Well, earlier on, as long as you were kings and stuff like that, you were really at a five. 
everybody else was still kind of at a two. But, yeah. You know. So what's the uh if if the situation goes and continues to happen, yeah. Do you picture that um do you picture that they'll continue to move westward? That's exactly because there's some yeah. amount of stray. Like exactly. You know, like when I look at that that salmon, a lot of salmon make a wrong turn. Correct. And that's how they colonize new rivers. Correct. Like they just go up the wrong river. Most of the time they do that. It yep. doesn't work out. Now and then one does that and he's like, sweet. Yep. And yeah, no, that, lo and, and behold, a new salmon stream. You know? No, no, absolutely. Um and that's exactly what's happening. It's it, we we Ben Senager and I looked at banding data we recently published in Journal of Wildlife Management, and we saw that there's a 25 percent emigration rate, so leaving the Atlantic Flyway on the U.S. side into the Mississippi. So this is one way that things are moving west, and okay. so most likely what's happening is those genetics are coming over, they're pair bonding with something that goes to the prairies, and they're moving it into the prairies. Yeah, and that is exactly what we're seeing through time. And that'll jump to the signatures. Rocky Mountain. That'll jump to Pacific. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is, uh, so, okay. So getting back to, is this a bad thing? Let me let me preface this. So study between Michael Schumer at SUNY ESF and his master student, uh, Susanna Hellegren, Brian Davis out of Mississippi State, Ariel Fournier with Forbes Biological Station. This is very generous. Yeah. It's very Canola generous of you to do all that. It's, I, like, I, it's I, like someone receiving an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank everybody. Uh, as well as California Waterfowl Association with Caroline Brady and Brian Huber. Um, all right, I got all those out. Uh, so we did a study. We wanted you to, can't be like, well, what I did. Yeah, <laughs> I on this silver tower by myself. No, no, that's not how I work. I'm like, we got to get this, you know, stuff. I almost said, you know, the S word, stuff done. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I work with, by bringing in the people who know how to do it quickly, and that's what I do. You know. Um. So, anyways. So we so we're like okay, we need to get wild strain birds and game farm birds into captivity to test. Like the first thing that we started seeing is their bill, and we're like, this bill on this game farm mallard sure looks like it's better at pecking than it is at straining. So we had a hypothesis that in captivity, where you throw grains out, potentially mm. over the last four hundred years, we've been selecting for things that can a run over to that and be peck at it. Huh. And so we're like, all right, let's see what this looks like. So we got birds out of California and this gets back to your comment about going West. And I'm like, oh, for sure those are wild birds. And lo and behold, there's game farm mallards there. Somebody's releasing them in California. Unfortunate. Really? Didn't see that coming. Mm. So I called up some friends and they're like, yeah, there's some people. I don't know who then they you are. Then you sent your wife in? Really? <laughs> So now I'm going to have to send my wife back to California. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so so we brought these in captivity. We genetically vetted everyone, meaning we did, you know, Ancestry.com on everybody. Knew everybody. Okay, these are hybrids. These are wild. These are the game farms. Uh, on top of it, we got game, by doing this, we got game farms from like other states. Everybody, same exact genetic signature. Still old world Eurasian signature, right? Still from over there. So we brought them in. And what we were doing were these feeding trials. Uh, and, uh, and what we would do is we would take the individual and we would, we would give them uh, uh, food, wild seeds, what they would actually eat in the wild in a bowl. And we would force them to strain it, right? And then we would see how much food was left over, over so, so much time. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to the crux of it, we found that game farm mallards are 50% uh, in, inefficient in eating wild seeds, straining wild seeds as a wild mallard. And the worst of them were female game farm mallards. Hmm. So that means in the wild, you can extrapolate this to they need twice as much food and twice as much time to get the same calories. Got it. On top of it, anecdotally, because we were just watching this, you could go into a cage and be like, that's a game farm female. Because what would happen is every day, there'd just be eggs randomly placed places. There, uh, at times, she would make a nest, but it would be like half made, right? So like, she's not... she. She has been transformed to be yeah. a chicken. Because in domestic settings, you don't want them to nest. You want them to just poop eggs out and you put them into your incubators. Uh, wild bird, you knew exactly what it is. The nest is there. There's almost never an egg because they're stressed out. Mm. Right? Huh. So, so anyway, so, so now we have this, this uh, association of genetics, morphology, and now it's causing issues on their ability to feed. On top of all this, what we found out is what's happened is they actually have made these things flightier. So you have a, 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 a mallard about the same length, but the wings are shorter. The legs are longer, so they run faster. Or that's, that, When you see the tarsus get longer, it's, it's what you see in island species where they become more terrestrial. Yep. So that, Spend more time on the ground. And, exactly. You know. And so, but the wings are shorter. That was an interesting one because I had to go to our our uh, aeronautics team. I was like, what does this do? And they're like, oh, you took a jumbo jet and you put fighter wings on it. You created, you made it flightier. Mm -hmm. So you, these things can maneuver at faster rates. But here's the kicker. When we finished our feeding trials, we put them back on Purina Chow to get them fat. And the hybrids- you mean literally- Purina chow. Okay. Uh, so a high protein diet to get them back to fat because we wanted to know what they would what they would do. And anything that had 30% more game farm or just straight up game farm almost never put fat on. They just stayed the same. So they're like a seven, 900 gram bird. Whereas a wild mallard at full fat, you're looking at 900 to 1200 gram bird. They're not getting properly geared up for they can't, And yeah. that's physiologically, they do not put fat on it seems again anecdotally just because of what we've done um game wild mallards you put them on purine and chow in four days they're like 1200 grams right they're putting that fat on just as you would expect so now let's put all this into a winter situation in michigan a freak storm comes in you got a bird with no fuel shorter wings that can fly fast but can't migrate far mm -hmm. uh and and would have to refuel almost every stop right that's a bad thing so now going back to the telemetry units, what did they actually tell us? That. So not only are these females, we've had uh, females with 30% or more game farm in them. They, they had a, a statistically significant, I'm pretty sure I'm saying this okay, uh, statistically significant uh, 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 abandonment of nest. Okay. Statistically significant tied to urbanization. And they were the ones that are doing the random walk. And that's and when we looked at stopover rates, they had statistically significantly higher rates of stopover. These things are burning fuel and, as they hopscotch across the country. So they can't go very far. So they're going they're out of city fuel. to city almost. That's, that's the random walk. Campus that's why to, they come back. Campus to campus. Yeah, they're like, oh, I got to go back to bre bread lady, you know, like yeah. refuel. Uh, except bread gives... Ducks angel wings, so don't give them bread. 
You actually are killing them by giving them bread. Really? Yeah. So if like, they had just done one of these introductions 50 years ago. Yeah, um, it would have been swamped out by the wild. Because of all these problems. Yeah. But the fact that you're just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And once it's in there, it doesn't go away. That's, right? New, that's the New yeah. Zealand situation where you had inundation. You, you put these things out there and then you like, let, let's see what Mother Nature basically would do. Yeah. And obviously they, but again, a, a, an interesting situation. It's an island, island ecosystem. There are there um, there aren't needs for migration because you know uh, uh, seasonality isn't the same. Uh, no predators. All these. It's it's sort of like a perfect situation. Yeah, so you're same not thing, same as Hawaii. It's not this like complex web of all these correct intercontinental migration, parallel migration yeah. paths. You know exactly. And so so yeah. So what we know now is that at minimum there are physiological, morphological, which means like their bill, their body, all this stuff, and they're and it, physiological, I forgot. So when we started seeing some of this, uh, this uh, uh, changes in migration, we I have a master's student, uh, 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 Nico, who's working on getting muscle fibers off of the ducks of these genet different genetic heritage, mm -hmm. looking at, uh, I might get this wrong, quick, uh, quick twitch or slow twitch yeah, muscle fibers. Yeah. So you would want a uh, quick twitch for faster movement, slow twitch for that elongated migration pattern is the hypothesis. And we're seeing exactly that, that these birds have higher uh, proportions of quick twitch as compared to, uh, or fast twitch versus slow twitch, that's it. Mm. Uh, the more slow twitch, or sorry, more fast twitch in the game farm mallards as compared to the slow twitch in wild mallards are doing these mi long distance migration and able to make these long distance migrations. So basically what this game farm mallard is, is a fighter jet that goes really fast, short bursts, uh, and that's about it. That's the, But that's what we bred it for, right? That unintentionally or intentionally, we got what we wanted. Yeah. I have a question for you. So when I hear this, this is from my perspective, it sounds a little doom and gloom, right? Like we're screwed. Uh, what, my question is, with all of this data that you have right now, is there legislation in place or being pushed to stop game farm releases? And even if they did, let's just say, you know, you're king of the world, you waved a wand, there's not another game farm bird released in North America today. Are we screwed? Like, is this going to eventually be fully bled out as it gets into the West and other regions of the country? I got a solution. Go ahead. Well, to Brady's point, if it was if the new ones were to end, I mean, can you start bringing ones from the West and yeah, cutting them back loose? Right. Like I mean that that's what it looks like, right? If they're eventually, if they're so weak that they're not going to be able to withstand the winters and they're not putting on the fat, etc. I'm just curious, like forward face, forward looking, what's the play here? That's a great question. More data. Uh, he's not. A, he's not a policy guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I am <laughs> not allowed to comment on those this. kinds of questions. What do the policy guys think about? Yeah, what are, are they, they interested? I am not allowed to comment. Uh, <laughs> so the, I do not comment. I don't know about the Atlantic oh, fly. Don't give me. The, you don't comment on the policy. Uh, the Mississippi stuff. Flyway have has reached out. They are they are supposed to be putting a comment out, being like, we do not support this. I believe. Uh, I'm Mississippi not speaking for Flyway. Them. The Mississippi Game Farm Flyway. Birds. The Game Farm. Yeah. 
What about the Atlantic Flyway people? I I don't know. What about the USGS? I feel like you're pleading the fifth right now. Uh, yeah, he definitely is. Okay, let's say you had. Let's say you said wait, what you, wait. No, no, no. Hold on, right. here, here, hold on uh, let's say you said exactly what you think. What would ha- what bad? Would, what would happen to you that was bad? All right. So like everybody, no, pay attention. The, the, listen, the flyways, to the, listen to the question. Yeah, the flyways <laughs> ask me if it, if this is going to be like. How do you know if it's going to be bad? I okay. won't know until it happens. But we can easily go back and ask, well, what happened with all the fisheries and uh, quail releases and, and pheasants and anything else we've tried to release with captive bred birds that have been domesticated for a while? Like the track record's not great. Not great. Not great. And all of those uh, signatures are popping up, not just here, but like we can just look at what's happening in Europe, right? So, so France is releasing a few million birds just to have a fall flight. You know, that that's... And they have complex ecologies, right? They have mm-hmm. mi- needs for migration. They have sure. seasonality, very similar to us. So given the situation there and the constant inundation, the, po- the probability of the same situation happening is high. <laughs> What's that mean? We're like really close to beyond at a time. Oh. All right. Sorry. I feel like we could talk about this for five more hours. Yeah. Who... Uh... You work for the university. I do. Okay. We had a USGS guy on a long time ago about grizzly bear. Yeah. He, his job was to count. His, his job was to tell people how many bears are there. But he's like, my job is not to tell you what to do about it. I'll tell you how many I think are there. But what you do with that is your business. You're not held by that. You're a university guy. Yeah. But I, I work with every state and federal agency in this country and in Canada. And, you know, I leave it to them. I provide data mm-hmm. and they do what they want with it. Are you it. tenured? I am. Huh? I am. Oh, well, then let's let's hear it. Let's cut it What do you really think about a guy like Giannis? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, so people ask we gotta me. Write, yeah, we got to wrap I know, it up. Know, we got to do trivia. Pete, oh, I've already done trivia with you guys. Like right here. You did? I, I asked you questions. A couple questions. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I think. Anyways, yeah. What, what do you do? So, we have a project in Hawaii. I'll, I'll wrap it up quickly. Like, where we're testing this. Can you artificially move back a hybrid population towards something different? That's what I want to hear. Yeah. So, in Hawaii. Can you? We're, we just got funding, although we're $250,000 short. If there are any donors on this uh, podcast, please contact me at plavretsky at utab.edu. Anyways. So we are actually going to try. We know exactly the population. It's on Oahu. We're going to try to move pure Hawaiian ducks into this hybrid population and see generationally how many generations does it take for us to get Hawaiian ducks again. So it's kind of like a genetic, pseudo-genetic rescue thing. Our model suggests it's only three or four generations. So that's three, four breeding events, and we'll have pure Hawaiian ducks again. If that works... Like that's a closed system, right? Mm-hmm. We control. We can control so much of that. If that works, then we can extrapolate. What would we have to do in North America to turn the tide? Got it. Now the prey, the 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 significant size of the prey pothole population is what is stopping this thing from just constantly moving west. Got because it. it's it's essentially because you're in a mallard stronghold. Exactly. What happened in the east. Uh, hypothesis now, hopefully I'll have data with the, all the historical stuff, is that there weren't that many to begin with, and whatever was there, you essentially bred out, mm-hmm. right? And so now it's just these hybrid thingies. And so, and you're constantly putting it in where Mother Nature can't just be like, all right, let's just keep some of this wild in there. Yeah. 
because uh, you're just constantly pushing it in. And so again, I don't think it's gloom and doom. Uh, the Atlantic Flyway, I'm not sh- you, you're right. Like there's no parental population there. You would have to create one. Create mm-hmm. one. Um, I lived in that flyway for a couple of years. It felt like doom and gloom when I was there. So <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Now, now you were mentioning the Chesapeake Bay and that those ducks are funny. Now you know that they are funny. They, they are funny. Their their behavior, everything about them is just you know it it, it looks like a mallard, but it's a chihuahua, a dog. Okay, let's, dog. Let, let, we're gonna close with a role play. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a hotel bar. I don't know anything about you. Yeah. Okay. And I got no way of finding out about you. And I'm just thinking out loud in this hotel bar. And I'm like, man, I live in New Jersey. I'm thinking about getting into this whole deal of uh, turning game farm mallards out because I like to hunt ducks. Uh, you're just a stranger. What do you think I ought to do? Don't do it. That's what you'd say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Phil says don't do it. Oh, Dr. Phil says, I was giving you anonymity as just a dude in <laughs> a hotel bar. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean. Ca- I caught you in a trap, so you did tell what you said. Oh, think. God. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's now sort of a, a pastime, right? In a, a lot of part of this country. I'm not going to say like, oh, let's shut it all down. But what I can say is our maps, our, our data flow are so at nice, fine scales that there are management actions that we can have. Like, for example, you have a place that is releasing and we can find these hotspots for any state and be like, okay, we're going to have special seasons in September. We're going to allow you to shoot 10 mallards or mm. whatever it is when you're there. You're just basically trying to push that 3 4% survival rate to zero. Of mallards coming out of there. That's what I would suggest. You're not going to shut this thing down. Like, it's a moneymaker. Like, are you going to really? know? But there are, there are things that we can do, I think. Um, and I think that segues to, can we segue to duck DNA now? I was going to say. Dude, we got to segue to no, being done. No, that's, oh. that's the done, but it's an action item for duck DNA. Oh, like I'm sorry. Like, one minute, and, and then we need it. We're going to, so, Phil's going to pull the plug. So the, <laughs> Literally. Where is the plug, Phil? <laughs> I mean, it's just one right here that it's can like a big, the whole Phil's thing. got a mask. <laughs> twitching. So, so, yeah. So, this is a citizen science project okay. that has been in my mind for almost a decade. Mike Brazier, uh, and I have been talking who's with Ducks Unlimited over the last couple of years. And then we went forward with this thing called Duck DNA. Go to www.duckdna.com. You yep. got the URL, Duck DNA? Duck DNA. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Well, to DU. So DU, I have to thank Ashley Tunstall, uh, Kai Victor, <laughs> DU Communications Department, IT Department, and Development. This is where I play the music. And of course, Mike Brazier. <laughs> <laughs> And my crew, Virgie Munsi, uh, Lauren McFarland, Sarah Gonzalez, they're all working right now as we speak to get this thing going. So this is a, everybody go to duckdna.com and sign up today and you will get a kit with five vials and you could put a tongue in that vial and we will tell you the ancestry of that duck. Really? We'll be using it for research purposes, but you will get a certificate. Congratulations. I yep, did. We do. Oh. Yeah. Oh, for you guys. I give some of these guys. Yeah. 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 We were supposed to do it on air. You're going to like, wear- need to get a warehouse for all these guys. <laughs> he was, was going to do a show how. I was going to do a show how. I even had to take latex gloves out of my kill kit because uh, I forgot others. But like, uh, so you, you just put um, the tongue in there of your favorite duck. If you're, you know, little Jimmy, little Susie shot their first duck, we can give you the ancestry of that. Right now it's only ducks. Soon we'll do all the geese because. 
uh, we're building the data set, the reference data set for all those 11 Canada geese and all yep. the snow geese and Rosses and everybody else. Um, but right now it's ducks and primarily mallards, which we're asking the hunters out there to become hunter scientists mm. and provide Count their data, uh, pro give us the opportunity to be make waterfowl at the forefront of wildlife conservation. Nobody's ever tried something like this. There's duck hunters all over. I know we're at like 950,000. But if everybody signs up, there's only 300. And I want to thank all the donors to DU that made this possible. It's free this year to sign up, free to get your kit. Hopefully, we have a mass amount of people and interest. And we will make this hopefully viable into the future. But I'm just super excited about it because this has been a dream, right? A mass, uh, uh, a mass all the duck hunters to provide at landscape, landscape and time intervals that would be impossible for any researcher to do, right? Yep. Uh, we would be able to study where are there uh, hotspots of hybridization, you know, pintail mallard, pin, you know, these types of things, as well as obviously my interest right now, where this came about is getting a uh, countrywide sampling of mallards uh, to, to get, get after and get ahead of this question with this whole game farm release and what it means to our wild North American mallards. DuckDNA.com. That's cool. Curtain closed. Thank you to Dr. <laughs> Phil. Thank you to the Flying Bee guys. Don't leave without your vials. Oh, I'm grabbing like 10 of them. It takes 10 seconds 31. to sign up. Yeah. 31. We're in. We're I on. signed up last Thanks, night. Phil. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Thanks, Thank Phil. you all. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today.